This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning to you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered to uh, to do what we can to make your life a little bit better. Welcome to the program. Jeff is back. Yay! From the Brothers Weekend. Whoa. Got a little excited there. Wow, somebody's got a little <laughs> butterfingers. Welcome back, Jeffrey. Glad you're alive. What, what do you mean? Oh, just all you... that partying with your brothers. Oh, it was crazy. You still smell like nacho cheese. You, you must have seen my Facebook post or something. No. We bought the nachos that come in the Dodger helmet. Oh, wow. 1,700 calories. Oh, I thought you were going to say $1,700. No. It may as well have been. Pretty close. Was, yeah. 1,700 calories. Yeah. Now, you said we bought them. Well, when I saw that it was 1,700 calories and almost $20, my brother and I thought, why don't we split one? Really? And I'm glad we did because well, that would have been way too much for one person. Really? I may not have been here. Yeah, this you morning. may have. Yeah, you probably would have been in the emergency room. Yeah. Just so you know, I know CPR. Really? I've done CPR on about 10 people. Well, I, to tell you the truth, you know, you, you mentioned that you're glad that I made it back alive. Are you okay over there, Terry? Terry's getting his headphones on. <laughs> Sounds like he's... Sorry, making more noise Holy than I was hoping to. Uh, yeah. So what's your success rate on that CPR, Matt? Uh, well, gen- I don't know if you know this. Yeah, but 10 people, so, you know. Well, generally when you're doing CPR on yeah. somebody, they're dead. Well, yeah. And usually they've been dead. Some have been dead for a while. True. So I think I'm two for 10. 20%. Yeah. It's well, not bad. Well, but like, you know, six of those were, you know, really old people at yeah. five in the morning. I just think if you're going to, you know, put that out there as maybe a bonus to well, working here, maybe we should know the. How know, many times have you done CPR? Uh, you know, I took some classes. There was have some... you ever pushed on someone's chest till all their. Till their sternum separates from their ribcage? Not on purpose. Okay. So what's cool about it is if I you went football. down today, I'd know you, what to do. You should have been there when I got attacked by ants. Your mother's sisters attacked you? <laughs> no. Oh. These are the, the little ANTSs. Oh, those ants. That, uh, not, your, not your aunts. That seem so harmless. Was this Check a, out this oh, arm here. Holy cow. A little wow. bit on the back here. You probably can't see as much. We're playing over the line. Okay. And Do you know what over the line is? Uh, no, a, but my mom a, said don't cross it. Yeah. It's a baseball game, and uh, basically it's like a, a baseball game where you don't have to run around bases, okay? It's the lazy man's baseball game. Well, or if you don't have enough people to play regular baseball. Okay. So I'm trying to make this diving catch. And I slide across the grass, and I feel this little stinging sensation. And at first, I think it's you know just one of those little prickly pieces yeah, of grass that just you a know. Prickly so grass. I, I go to pick it out, look down at my arm, and there are a dozen, a dozen or so ants just crawling all over my arm, just because of that me. one slide. Yeah. Wow. I must have slid into their Your living house. room or something. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. We had a Seinfeld moment. Let's hear that. Um, okay. <laughs> so, we go to rent our car. My brother pays a little extra to get a Mercedes Benz. Wow. And something very similar to this happens. I'm sorry, we have no midsize available at the moment. 
I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Oh, yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. Oh, yeah. If you did, I'd have a car. See, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. So he orders a Mercedes-Benz, spends a little extra. Yeah. And we walk out of there with a Chevy Malibu and a worthless $30 voucher for the next time we go there. Oh, wow. Plus, ant bites. True. And Sounds I've like never, a bad trip. I've never been upsold or tried to, attempted to have upselling so many times than at this car dealership. Really? this rental place. Hey, by the way, don't diss Malibus. I didn't know. It was fine. It was Somebody fine. in this room drives a Malibu. It's an Impala. Oh, Thank sorry. you. It's a different car. The point is we paid extra <laughs> for something we didn't get. We got downgraded, but we still paid extra. They didn't wow. refund any of that money. They gave us a $30 voucher, which we can't even use. So, um, yeah, they wanted, to, they wanted us to get, like, tire insurance, car insurance. They wanted us to get a toll pass. And I'm from California, and this guy was trying to pull a fast one over on us. And then he tried to – he kept lowering the price of an upgrade to a, a better car. And Man. Yeah. But California it was a great trip. It was a great seem trip. as fun as I thought it would be. We saw a movie, and my brothers like to make comments throughout the movies, uh, which, you know – Makes other others, theater yeah. goers don't really appreciate. Yeah. That's a lot of, I mean, to have that's a lot of Simpsons in one theater. Yeah, making the comments. There was a guy that got up and moved to a different seat within, you know, before the movie even started. I think you could just tell it was going to be one of those experiences. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy! Well, it's good to have you back. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Lots of news yesterday. Don't know if you noticed this, Matt. Well, not I didn't. President Trump held two separate sort of impromptu, like yeah. without the guidance of his press operations people, press conferences, which always go well. So he both. Wow, really? He contradicted himself in both areas, saying like Obamacare's dead, and then he kept talking about, well, that's a problem with Obamacare. I'm like, well, it was just you just said I it was dead like it. an hour ago. So all kinds of fun but stuff. But he's that good way. friends with McConnell now. Well, yeah, that's what he says. So he says he. Be, it, this is part of the press conference. He had McConnell standing next to him. If you've seen the photographs, yeah. it's interesting. Watching President Trump say things and McConnell not or try not to react yeah, to things. <laughs> President Trump sent Majority Leader McConnell reaffirmed their working relationship in an impromptu press conference after their private meeting Monday at the White House. We have been friends for a long time and probably now, despite what we read, we are probably now, I think, at least as far as I'm concerned, closer than ever before. Despite numerous reports that Trump and allies like ex-aide Steve Bannon want to remove McConnell and other Republican leaders, the president has said the relationship is very good. We are fighting for the same thing. After discussing budget and tax reform proposals, McConnell added, we are totally together on this agenda to move America forward. The president has repeatedly blamed McConnell for failing to repeal and replace Obamacare. Also, their staffs on deep background with all the press are like attacking each other, the president or yeah. the speak. I mean, so it's just like infighting, but you know, in front of the press, they're all friends. But you still have Bannon. Didn't he say something like, I'm going to do my best to try to get Bannon to oh, yeah. switch fighting some of these people. But he, it was, it was like, <clears throat> I'm going to try to see if we can get Bannon to quit 
dismiss or, or fighting against some of these people that in was primaries. Over, that was over the weekend. So yeah. there's others that are sitting there like, oh. Yeah. Yet he wants McConnell to move the Senate, move Congress, and get things happening through Congress. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Another note from the press conference, President Trump asked why he had not commented or called the families of the U.S. soldiers killed in Niger 12 days ago. Trump claimed that former presidents, including Barack Obama, did not call the families of fallen soldiers, sparking quick and furious outcry from both Bushes, Clinton, and Obama, all saying, we all call fallen soldiers, we bring them to the White House, we talk to them. Why haven't you talked to them? It's been almost two weeks. Oh, man. So, uh, Trump said the traditional way, if you look at President Obama and other presidents, most of them didn't make phone calls. All of them didn't make calls. I like to call when it's appropriate, when I think I'm able to do it. Huh? Well, isn't it appropriate? You lost soldiers. You're the commander-in-chief. That would be appropriate. You, he says he's written letters they are going to be mailed yesterday or early today. Boy. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can't talk your way out of something you behaved your well, way into. We'll see what the White House press conference looks like today when Sarah Huckabee Sanders tries to so talk what, her way out of it. What? You got, it's a phone call. Yeah. He's got a lot of calls to make. <laughs> we were going to get to it. Mm. Uh, even though conditions are improving, California fire officials warn that 14 large fires still not fully contained and remain dangerous. So far, 40,000 people are still under evacuation orders. Officials said thousands of displaced residents are being permitted to return to homes in areas deemed safe. Blazes raged out of control for a week, killing 41. Sonoma County, 88 people remain unaccounted for. And uh, that was a Monday afternoon. Nearly 700 are in shelters in Santa Rosa, which is part of that county. So it's just kind of... Wow. They're, they're not wrapping it up, and, you know, the wind is dying down, so they're kind of getting ahead of some of these yeah. fires. But, you know, wind can kick back up at any moment. So, Also, this was an interesting story over the weekend. Uh, Representative Tom Marino from Pennsylvania was supposed to be the next drug czar in yeah. the Trump administration. 60 Minutes ran a piece over the weekend about... How Tom Marino and some others sponsored a bill that made it easier for or harder for people to actually legally go after drug companies for things like, I don't know, opioids, which are oh, killing really? thousands yeah. of people. Yeah, yeah. And that evidence came to light. This happened, and now they're they're pushing now bills are all of a sudden showing uh, up so. a day later to kind of reverse that law. And uh, Trump is saying that uh, Marino has removed his name Not from a good consideration for the drug czar since he did that and took money for it it looks like crazy so can i mean did they not know that i don't know but 60 minutes showed the president because apparently he watches that show also okay because he said he watched it on tv and it was on one place so well da- so he's dancing with the stars yeah. 60 minutes and trump and friends and i mean fox and friends. fox and friends and cnn morning i love that cartoon yeah oh it's not a cartoon fox and friends i'm, I'm pretty tra- sure i get up wa- early on saturday to watch it have, no, you, wa- have you watched it uh, no. Okay. They have special powers. I don't watch cartoons. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Finally, Florida residents will have the opportunity in 2018 to elect the first known alien abductee to Congress. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Alien? Alien abductee. Like, not like the old term illegal alien. No, 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 no. We're talking cosmic. Visitors Real. from another planet. Wow. Yeah, Miami Republican Bettina Rodriguez Aguilera, 59, claimed in a 2009 TV interview that three aliens brought her aboard a spaceship when she was seven, and the the extraterrestrials have continued to communicate with her telepathically over the years. 
She learned some useful facts from the aliens, hmm. uh, such as there are 30,000 skulls different from humans in a Maltese cave. So in Malta. Oh, wow. Right. And that Florida's Coral Castle Tourist Trap, as the article calls it, yeah. it's a place to hang out, is actually an Egyptian pyramid. Oh, wow. Hmm. But in Florida. Uh, she did also, not know that. She also said that the aliens had mentioned ISIS, though she didn't clarify if they meant the terrorist organization or the ancient Egyptian goddess. Not sure well, on that. Ooh. Obviously so, the goddess. So, I mean, you can... Florida, if you're in Florida, you can vote for an alien, okay. alien abductee. What do you think, Matt? Well, I mean... Should she put that on, like, campaign should, posters? I guess or? we should be... Yeah. <laughs> if he wins, <laughs> ISIS, ISIS will take credit for it. Like, they'd which, like oh, to take credit ISIS? for everything else. Which ISIS? You tell me. The ancient goddess. Okay. Uh, that's weird. Yeah. Found that story a little... Don't you wonder, like, so is, like, her, are her signs gray with a big moon big and a... black, silver, gloss... Not silver, black, yeah, glossy big, eyes. Big yeah. eyes. Yeah, small head. Three fingers. Yeah. What if they're thing. just like you and me? I bet they are. Totally. Little, really weak ankles. Don't you think you could, like, if you just take an alien out, just go for the ankles? Hmm. Very long, skinny legs, I hear. <laughs> That's the pictures I've seen. Wow, did you hear about the other bad news coming out of the California fires? I mean, bad news for some. Uh, apparently, a lot of marijuana farms yes. went up in smoke. Ooh. In fact, I heard an interview where they were asking about the, the wineries. Yeah. And the person didn't even talk about that. They just talk about the marijuana farms that are now because there's like there's like ten to fifteen thousand farms, and I guess a lot of them are in that area. Yeah. Well, they're both a source of uh, major income. The spokesperson for the uh, the marijuana growing um, farms, all he said was, um, "Dude, <laughs> dude, wow. it's sad." And they're, I mean, legit businesses in the state. They're not insured yeah. because no one wants to get involved with a marijuana farm at this point. Yeah. And so it's a complete and total loss. Do it again. I guess. Just start growing. Well, and imagine thousands of acres of pot burning. Yeah. It's a problem. <laughs> Just saying. It's going to be hard to evacuate those people. <laughs> Plus just the amount of munchies and chips you're going to have to bring in. Just bring in the Doritos truck. You're fine. Everyone just kind of shuffles over this way. <laughs> wow, a lot of loss. Um, but at least there, it sounds like. Did you see smoke when you were in, when you were there? Because you have not uh, some really. Fires in but uh, we were up in the Santa Clarita area, and we did see <clears throat> some burned soil and ground, and they, thankfully no fire. I like your T-shirt. I went to California, my, and all I got was my parents went to California, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Yeah. It's hmm. nice. When's your brother party? My what? Your party with your brother. We just hang out every once in a while. He lives here. So You're not going go to go to California? I don't have to go somewhere to, to see him. He lives about, what, seven, eight miles away. So you don't want to go to California? No, I mean, I ate lunch with him last week. It was great. He doesn't love him. doesn't love his brother. I don't have a brother, so. Well, you ought to get one. I have sisters. Oh. Do you, hang, do you hang out with them? Not really? Mm. Not the same thing? Every time I go, they like they want to put makeup on me and yeah. do my hair. It's kind of weird. Just like we used to do. Everybody there accused us of only going because the Dodgers happened to be playing that weekend. And, they and won. I resented that. Did, but you were there for only one game. 
I was there for game one, and then we watched game two at my dad's house, my mom and dad's house. On a Sunday? Huh? That was amazing. I'm not joking. <laughs> They're doing great stuff. Dodgers are killing it. They play again tonight. Game three in Chicago. Little so, Matt, games. what are the odds of you watching the baseball game tonight? <sighs> tonight? Yeah. He just said the game's tonight. That's what he said. Um, Inflection at the end. Not, uh, I'm trying to think what I've got going on tonight. Yeah. Probably not very good. You got nothing. Yeah. There you go. I always you got I, nothing. No, but like, I, it's funny. I have incredible timing. So I will flip to the game Ooh. right in time to watch the home run. Okay. The home run's not even always the best part. I went to game one. It's not the, only was it a great game. The it's the four hours leading up to the home run. That's probably the best part. The nachos <laughs> were amazing. Game one had the best singing of the national anthem I've ever heard. Who? It was this gospel singer oh, who, you know, was singing it just normally throughout the song. And then toward the end, he starts going into his head voice. And you think, wow, this is amazing. How could it possibly get any better? He, like, takes his head voice an, an entire octave higher than that. Really? And it was – it blew us away. Did his head explode? So then the Dodgers win. And then we watch game two on TV. And you think, how Hold can on, this – How can game two be better than game one? And, and it was. It was one-to-one the whole time. Four hours. Bottom of the ninth. There you go. Two outs. <laughs> Justin Turner gets up to the See? plate and crushes a three-run homer to win the game. That's why it was perfect timing for me. Just in and out. And then but, I, got to, I got to keep the Sabbath day holy. But you could have watched two teams over four hours score one run apiece. Exactly. And then right at the end, someone do something exciting. People you could are, watch the entire four hours. Plus, you could flip over a few channels and then watch Aaron Rodgers get broken into pieces. <laughs> Do that, too. People are talking about that home run. They're comparing it to Kirk oh, Gibson's. Yeah, Gibson. No, Joe Cannon brought that up on the show yesterday. Yeah. Joe was like, he's... Well, he didn't... How like does he know? He didn't watch it. No, he, he just read about it the next morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, you know... Is a sinner has like me lackadaisical values. <laughs> no, that sounds great. What a great trip. I'm glad you're back, though. Really, I mean, you're you do a good job. I think these ant bites are contagious, though. I know those women. So, they're crazy. They love you, though. You still don't get it. Still don't get it. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about. Uh, some business advice, getting some business advice about leading indicators. What are the things you should be measuring in your business um, if you actually want to have success? It's not always the bottom line that's the best metric. Uh, leading indicators to help you reach your most important goals in business and life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. There's a lot of ways to measure the effectiveness of a company, of an organization. And if you're, if you're put in charge, then uh, really there's a lot of work and responsibility for you. One way to do it are what are called key indicators. They are figures that show if your company is growing or failing. But they can also help us in our personal life, whether you're learning the piano or trying to lose weight. Here to speak with us about key performance indicators is uh, is the author of uh, the book, um, The Great CEOs Are Lazy. 
He is also um, a CEO himself and and a writer and an author. Jim Sheckler, uh, thank you so much, sir, for being here. Thank you for your time. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thanks for having me. Great to great to have you. Talk to me about. Uh, first of all, you wrote a great book. Great CEOs are lazy. I mean, that seems so offensive, Jim. But <laughs> but what do you mean by that? Well, you know, some people either go, I I knew it all along that they weren't actually doing anything in that office, <laughs> and uh, and other people see that maybe there's something there. You know, it's meant to sort of catch your attention as yeah. a title. Um, but really, the point is that they are strategically lazy. In other words. They still work hard, yeah. you know, 50, 60 hours a week. But um, what what they do is they approach the work different than most people. And, and I'll tell you where this came from briefly. Um, we, we work with CEOs. That's what I do in my business. We coach CEOs. And so I've talked to probably two or 3,000 CEOs over the last bunch mm. of years. Yeah. And they fall into two categories. You've got a bunch that are working 80 hours a week, not getting the results they want. And then there's a group that's working 50, 60 hours a week, getting great results. And the question is, it's the same job. What do they do differently? <laughs> and um, that's what the book's about, basically. And something, I mean, part of this is really about the metric. You've got to choose something to to kind of fly your your airplane by and yep. whichever instruments you choose it could make or break you yeah and, and i even go one step before that which is clarity about where you're going mm. um if if your goal isn't clear then i doesn't really matter what your key performance indicator is so we spend a lot of time thinking around clarity of my objective you have a different object. You have a different objective. You use different key performance indicators, um, and, and and we think of it like this. Um, it, you know, sometimes I like to water my garden, and when I'm using the hose, occasionally it gets kinked, and um, you know I could work anywhere on that hose and not get much of a result unless I go find the kink and open it up. Yeah. Well, the same thing's true in life. Um, I can do work on all kinds of different things, but unless I'm clear on where the kink is in the hose, I'm not going to get much of a result. So for us, it's be clear about your objective, figure out where the kink in the hose is, and then you can put metrics around that to make sure you're making progress. That's true because if you're if you're measuring turning on the hose and you're really good at turning on the hose, but you have a kink in the hose, you've measured the wrong thing. <laughs> Right. It's yeah. probably how much water is coming out the end of the hose would be a better metric. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but who I mean, I, I guess yeah. it seems like the most like you're talking about, we got to go at first and, and make sure what our objective is and be clear about our objective. But it seems like it's easier in a way to kind of assume objectives and then just measure financials. Yeah, but, you know, uh, and just talking about business for the moment, because this, this applies, I think, both to both right. personal lives as well as business. But on the business side, um, you know, if you imagine driving a car, the financials are the result of everything I did. That That's the outcome of, you know, serving customers and doing a good job and so forth. And really, if you use the car analogy, it's like looking out the back window. And when we think about key performance indicators, we'd rather be looking out the front window, which are finding in, uh, metrics that indicate future success. So I, it's sort of like guideposts or milestones on my journey that I know I'm heading in the right direction. And if I keep doing that, when I look out the back window, the financials are going to be great. Right. So that's the difference is sort of how do I get to metrics that predict my success 
versus metrics that say, hey, last month you did a great job. That, that's a little less interesting, actually, because I don't know what to change if I did a bad job. No, right. How do you how do you know how to do that? I mean, um, I, I guess part of it is knowing where you're going and then you just backtrack from your your goal, your objective to what's the natural step between where I'm going and where I am. Or how do you know how to find those leading indicators? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's, a, it's a discovery process, and uh, it's probably like getting to Carnegie Hall. Practice, practice, practice is how you get there. But uh, I'll give you an example of one um, for a business we were working with. They were selling digital printing, so fancy digital printing to companies, and they had a pretty aggressive marketing effort. And they had this sort of epiphany that if they bring somebody to their factory, and, and this was a beautiful factory, I mean, it was like, uh, an operating floor, be- yeah. super clean, gorgeous equipment, everything running like a Swiss watch. It was beautiful. They said, you know, it's funny. Every time we bring something, somebody to the factory, they become a customer. And we said, that's it then. Yeah. <laughs> that's the leading indicator is how many factory tours can you get with potential customers? Because if, if you know that everybody who comes to the factory turns into a customer, we don't need to measure sales. We just need to measure how many people get to the factory. And so they changed how they compensated their sales force, and they changed what they measured, and they began to have a lot more success because they were crystal clear about what was a leading indicator for future success. That's interesting. It was those factory tours. That's what did the trick for them. And it's something subtle like that that I would assume in a company setting it would come up in just in having conversations about what it would look like and, and what it does look like to be successful. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's obvious sometimes that it's a little bit of an aha moment like that one you know that sort of just came out in casual conversation and we go whoa whoa, wait stop roll back <laughs> yeah. roll back to tape that that actually was really really important and and i think there's where having some other people in the room that aren't quite as uh, familiar with what you're doing can be really useful because um, it's a fresh set of eyes and you know you've been doing it for so long you, you, you just you drive by things and you don't even think they're important anymore and somebody who hasn't gone on that journey before can see it and go, wait a minute, I, that's really different to everything else I've ever seen. Let's talk about it. Because um, you can get you really know, deep, right? You can get so deep in it that you can't see the you know the forest for the trees. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, you know, on a personal level, you know, thinking about maybe losing weight, yeah. you could use a le- leaning indicator of exercising every day. Um, it's simple, but if, if I exercise every day, you know, I sweat every day for, let's say, 30 minutes, and I do that every day for a year, I should lose weight. Yeah. Unless I, you know, up my Oreo consumption to a little bit, <laughs> offset it. But um, the idea is there that that, that that would be a leading indicator for losing the weight I'd like to lose. That's great. And then, uh, because again, it's more like, let's get on the scale. How much have I lost? That would be the lagging indicator. Exactly. I'm looking out the rear, rear view window of what happened. It doesn't, it's not predictive. It's here's the, how the story turned out. I'd rather be predictive with, with that exercise thing. Can your, can your leading indicator, so, and this is funny because every business school teaches KPIs, right? K, yep. Key performance indicators. And th- then there was the big movement of the dashboard. You need a dashboard to kind of have all your metrics in front of you. Yep. Um, but can, can a metric be subjective? Like, or, or can it, is it only a true measurable? Can there be a feeling like is, is a leading indicator you know, your ability to uh, feel better um, about your body. Yeah. Um, or does it have to be truly just objective? 
you know, you're, you're making my hair stand up on end. I'm an, I'm an engineer by undergraduate <laughs> training. So, I'm testing your, you know, your and a German DNA. Food, so it's a bad combination. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think on a personal level, that's could be okay. It's a little, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a famous restaurant in Virginia. This, this is on the business side, but you'll get the point. Um, and it's a, it's a two Michelin star restaurant. It's called the Inn at Little Washington. Mm. Gorgeous place. If you ever have a chance, you want to go there for dinner. But every time a waiter or waitress engages with a table, they record how happy the table is on a scale of 1 to 10. And if they're not a 9 or a 10, and it's completely subjective. I mean, yeah. how do you tell how happy a table is, right? Um, but if they're joking and having fun and, and conversations going, that's probably a 9 or a 10. And if they're kind of staring at each other and not talking, that's probably a 5 or something like that. And so they, if they see somebody's below a 9 or 10, they do extra little things for them to try to push up their happiness level. Hmm. You know, a little amuse-bouche from the chef, a visit by, by the, the wine steward, uh, something special to try to move up their happiness level. So they, that is completely subjective. And uh, they use it to run their business. And their goal is to have you leave that restaurant with a 9 or a 10 happiness. That's interesting. But, but it's funny because they're measuring it, I guess, subjectively. They are. But, they, but they're fixing it very tangibly. They go yeah. to all of the other offerings that they have to bring up the score. It, do, it does drive, drive action. Um, you know, and, and on going back to the weight loss example, you know, it might show up in um, – you know, I'm not winded when I run up the steps, or yeah. my clothes fit better, or, um, and I don't know if I would put a make a scoreboard out of that, but it would sure make me feel good about what I was trying to do. And I guess too, you could have a you could have an overall how do I feel metric yeah. that includes all of the subjective and kind of yeah. I guess like they are at the table. It's um, it's really an interesting idea because it seems like in our in our professional life, it's so much about the metrics, which is you know what ensures it seems like profitability for companies and organizational strength. But in our private life, I'm not sure we measure as much, do we? Yeah, no, and um, I don't think we do. And and I wouldn't, you know, you don't want to be a machine. But right. there was one single thing I was really trying to get good at or or do in life. Or, um, you know, measuring that one thing make makes some sense to you. And there's a whole other line of thinking, which is why businesses do it, is um, if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. Right. So the other corollary is if you do measure it, you can improve it. And so um, I know at one point I was trying to lose weight in my life, and I know this is a backward-looking metric, which is against our idea, but I would actually have a little chart, and I would mark, you know, on a graph what I weighed every morning. And... Uh, you know, when that line started tipping downward over time, I'm like, okay, we're we're heading in the right direction. It made me feel good. And I didn't measure anything else, and I know it was backward looking. I should I could have measured exercise or, you know, snacking or something like that. But um, just measuring it caused me to think more about it and cause it to get better. Yeah. How do so, you measure something like um, your marriage or your relationship with your kids? Yeah. Um, there, I think you're in that subjective yeah. kind of space. And, you know, I know people that work with with uh, couples, and they'll actually go to each, you know, when they're working in a couple's uh, situation, go, where would you rate the relationship right now on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah. And, you know, and the wife might go, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 9, I'm happy. And uh, the husband might go, well, I'm kind of a 5, I'm, I'm not so good. 
And, okay, why are you a five? Let's mm-hmm. talk about that, right? So I think you can use it. And, and even when you're just working with your spouse, you might go, how are we doing? Where are you at? You know, are you a nine? Are you a five? Are you a two? Um, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, but I want to know where you're at. And, yeah. and just that just 10-point happiness scale is a pretty interesting way to communicate where you sit. I think the next question of why is the critical question, but um, – but, you know, because if somebody was a nine, I'd want to know, well, why are you a nine? Right. What's sure, working? More of that. Whatever, yeah. Whatever's getting you to nine is a good thing to do. Right? That's right. And, and I guess, too, if you're doing um, uh, that, you could still get key performance indicators, leading indicators that of what keeps it a nine. And if it's OK, we got to have our date night. We got to cuddle every day or whatever. We got to talk every day, whatever. Yep. yep. That's cool. Exactly right. Well, and, and you could argue that how are we doing today? is a leading indicator of long-term success. Right, right. You know, if, if every day is good, then the long-term success of we're going to keep the marriage together, we're going to have a happy household, you know, the kids are going to have a, an environment that is, is healthy and, and a good model for them as they grow up, those things all happen as a result of being an 8 or a 9 every day. So I'd actually argue a daily check-in or something on that order is, is a great leading probably indicator. a leading indicator of long-term success. No, I think that sounds totally right. Um, some daily kind of connection check-in. Um, yeah. Do you talk about CEOs? I mean, as the author of the book, Great CEOs Are Lazy, I mean, there's a lot of attention going to CEOs today that uh, maybe they're being overpaid. Are CEOs worth the money we're paying them? Yeah, you know, when I want to make people crazy, I tell them I, I help CEOs get paid more money, and they usually their heads explode when <laughs> yeah, I tell like, them that. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really hard question because, um, you know, the market pays people what they're worth. Um, and that job in particular can have such a profound impact on the success of a business. You know, we've all been in a company with a great CEO where – the attitudes are positive, the, the arrows are all going in the right direction, we're growing, people are learning, we're making money, it's, it's all kind of going in the right direction. And we've been in businesses with a, a poor CEO where, you know, it's political and there's infighting and it's not fun and, you know, we're not having the success we'd like to have. And so, boy, just that's one person. And so getting the right one is such a profound difference in the outcome of the business that paying them a little bit more to make sure you have a good one um, is worth it. And, you know, the other side is uh, that's part of why the tenures are very short at the CEO job level. Mm. I think the average is now below three years. Oh, is it really? Oh, you know, yeah. They get fired very fast. Um, and, you know, that's occupational hazard they exist. But if I'm going to pay a lot of money, I darn well expect excellent performance. And if I don't get it, the fuse on that is pretty short. Because yeah. I'm paying a lot of money. I expect the good, the good stuff. So <clears throat> I'd say... On average, they're probably not overpaid if they do a good job. The bad ones are clearly overpaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think the only other element is within the public environment, it's a little bit of a dance that I think has become um, yeah, perhaps unhealthy, which is to say, you know, there's a lot of intermingling of boards, and we're all trying to pay our CEOs at the 75th percentile. Well, if everybody's trying to pay at the 75th percentile, all we end up is in this ever-escalating compensation model. Sure, right. right. Trying to push up and up and up and up. And I think a little of that exists, and it probably shouldn't. Um, and I'll hmm. just give you the last element. And this one really is performance-based. Um, most CEOs, their base comp is not stunningly high. I mean, they're high, no doubt, but yeah. not stunningly high. 
where they make these kind of stupid numbers that we see in the press is with stock, with options. You know, when a guy makes $100 million, they didn't write him a paycheck for $100 million. He sold, he had options, he bought stock, the stock appreciated in value, and that's how he made the money. But think about it, why did the stock appreciate? Right. Because he did a really, really good job. Um, and he probably made billions and billions and billions of dollars for his shareholders, and they rewarded him by paying him $100 million. It sounds like a crazy amount of money, but not in the scheme of having made billions and billions and billions of dollars for other people. Do you? What do you think about these CEOs, uh, I mean, that are now reaching kind of this it, – it's almost geopolitically they're, they're as important as, you know – leaders of countries nowadays, whether, you know, Amazon, Google, Facebook, these leaders of these companies are geopolitical leaders. Is Do you think that's a smart mix of um, not just being a business owner and a business director and, and chairman, but also getting as politically active as some of them get? Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I Jim's opinion, yeah. um, unless there's a reason why for the business, you need to be politically active. Uh, to use it as a bully pulpit um, probably isn't where I would go. Um, it's a choice that they're making. They have an opportunity to influence outside the sphere of business and in the, in the sphere of politics and other spheres. They choose to do it. Um, uh, you know, I don't know that that's really the point of a business. A business serves its clients, it serves its employees, it serves a lot of people. To create a bully pulpit for some sort of political machinations, I'm got to watch I out. Be so supportive of that, but you know, people do it. Yeah, there's a freedom of speech; they can say whatever they want to say, so <laughs> can't stop them, and it's their completely within their rights to do so. It's a totally different ball game, um, and I mean, there is a lot of pressure in that role as CEO, yeah. and I mean, a lot of these companies too are becoming like Facebook is now getting in a little trouble because of. You know how Russia may have used some marketing there, and Google as well. I mean, it's like all of a sudden you've created something the world needs so much that it can now impact so many things in our world. How? Just what advice do you give uh, a CEO, um, or just any of us that want to be leaders in our lives in our communities? What should we do to not to actually still be, you know? You know, putting um, putting some oil in the vessel so that our lamp can keep burning. How do we keep doing it all? Yeah, um, you know, I I think we're here to make a difference, and um, I think, and we coach this in CEOs of building purpose into their organizations. I think, you know, making more money than last year is a soulless exercise. It doesn't fill your lamp to use your energy yeah. there. Um, but if we think about the people's lives we affect and the way we change or the way we I work, I, I work on one board where they, where they biblically tithe. Hmm. And the, the entire community is involved in service and giving away that tithing. And they're there for a much higher purpose than making money. And they all know it. And it, it fills them. And it fills everybody that they impact. They, you'd be amazed at how they are, have this sort of ever-expanding influence on people because of the way they act and the way they are. And so when I, when I think about in the coaching we give CEOs is you've got to build that bigger purpose into what we do here. Business can be an amazing force for positive change, um, but you need to just sort of design it into your business. And if you do that, you're going to build more than just money. You're going to build a legacy, an impact. You're going to change the world and make it positive. So that, that's where we go when we think about trying to do something different. And that's not political. That's yeah. social justice. That's helping the poor. That's 
you know, it, I don't care what you pick. Pick what you like. Pick what everybody resonates to, as long as you pick something um, and you stick with it. So th- those are the companies we get excited about, the ones that are trying to do more than just make money. Um, and we try to coach those that aren't to see that as a better way to go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that really is the heart of it, isn't it? Well, we appreciate you. Uh, Jim Schlexer, Schlexer, we're so grateful to have you on the show. Again, Jim is the CEO of Inc., the Inc. CEO Project, and author of Great CEOs Are Lazy, a wonderful book to uh, to spark your mind and get you thinking about how to use lead, leading indicators, how to get ahead in the game, and, and uh, do so, as he just said, you know, motivating the hearts and minds of the people that uh, that you're with, as well as elevating life for everybody else. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will continue the journey of good leadership up next right here on BYU Radio. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Welcome back. You know what a great uh, what a, what a difficult job. Can you imagine being the CEO of your company? Now some of you would be like, "Oh yeah, I would kill it. Kill it." But it's got to be a really difficult thing to make sure everyone's happy, everyone's got an opinion, everybody, you know, thinks they could lead the company better and then your job is to actually get it done and meet with the board and but yeah, but you make so much money. Um it's interesting uh, when when Jim talked about the fact that the market is is what uh, pays pays these CEOs, um, and and you're paid. He said what you're worth, but what what he means by that is if I can go get millions of listeners to listen to a radio show, then um, and they're doing it because they want to listen to me, then we can afford to pay me more. I'm not like making an argument here for myself, by the way. Um, but the point is there's a market. And the the funny thing is some of the most important jobs in the world don't get paid by the market necessarily. Um, they don't necessarily – we don't pay our teachers based on the great insights that they gave their students to go allow them to go on and create Apple um, or to create Google. We didn't pay them for that. But we pay our CEOs based on – the marketplace, right? And so it's easy to get really offended and and frustrated by what CEOs are making. Um, and so – and there's no easy way through this. Some of the most important jobs when you think about it aren't even paid. I mean being a parent, you're not paid to be a parent. You're not paid to be uh, – you're not paid anything near what you'd be worth to be uh, that nurse that just is there for you and actually connected and relating to you. Think of anybody in a job or a profession that really has made a difference and uh, they're not probably being paid for all the social and the relational stuff that matters. So um, it's hard. It's hard when we look at a world where some CEOs are making hundreds of millions of dollars and you know other people that lead huge organizations of incredibly motivated, uplifted people aren't. And I guess in the end, we have to kind of be clear about what, what really matters and it doesn't mean you just can spread the money everywhere evenly either, right? Because there are market forces at play. But it also doesn't mean that we can't uh, find other ways to respect and hold these people up. There are some things in this world that you can only see with the heart 
And uh, one of those is just the goodness of other people. And a lot of times you won't be compensated on earth for that goodness. I guess that's why it's worth believing in a heaven where you might be compensated there. Hopefully someday, right? Anyway, a little thought for you. We will continue the journey. Up next, we're going to be talking about state by state, an update on what uh, Halloween candies each state likes. You're going to want to know that because you don't want to be the one that doesn't hand out the right candy bar. You don't want to be that person. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks. Yes, as uh, Halloween is nearing, you you want to get this right. There are a few things in life that really matter. And obviously on Halloween, there's not a lot that matters. There is one thing on Halloween that does matter, the right candy. You got to make sure you are selecting the right candy or your ch- or the kids that come to your house will always see you as, you know, kind of like the dentist that hands out a toothbrush. You're like that guy. You're that guy. You are that guy. Or my neighbor used to hand out pencils. Seriously. Well, you you put your teeth in that anyway, right? Yeah. That's why all those teeth mark. That's true. After the first year, you're like, no, I'll skip that one. Yeah. I got enough pencils. He always does pencils, you guys. They're not even number two. Yeah. They weren't. They're just, you know, random stuff. (laughs) So this is a list from an online candy distributor called Candy Store. Okay. They distribute in bulk. They're a bulk candy distributor. So they look at their shipments over the last 10 years. Yeah. This is what each state is the leading candy in bulk that's purchased from them oh, in this, this is state, exciting. right? exciting. Okay. So is it the number one candy? Probably not, but more people purchase from them in bulk. Yeah, yeah. This is a big deal. So uh, any state you want to know? Let's, well, let's start just with our home state, Utah. Jolly Ranchers. What? Really? That's not candy. Hmm. See if I can find the actual. It's That's not, an appetizer. What do you mean it's not candy? <laughs> That's not a good candy. To... Four hundred seventy-five thousand pounds okay. of Jolly Ranchers. Let's have go been to California. Purchased. See what the West Coast. That's is doing. the kind of candy that makes you want to reassess your life. Yeah, Jolly Rancher. What really? am I doing with my life? I need what to get a life. California most popular Halloween candy is. Uh, it's the birthplace of Jelly Bellies, right? But they love M&M's more. Oh, yes. So cool. M&M's make friends. 1.5 million pounds. Really? Yeah. Mm. Let's do Colorado. Colorado likes... uh, It was Twix, but it's been dethroned. Oh, Oh. sorry, Twix. It's now Milky Way. Ooh, Ooh, that's good, too. Milky Way. That was the candy bar I always got because my sisters wanted Snickers and some other candy bar before that. So they always gave me their Milky Ways. What about Washington? Let me go to the end of the list. Washington State. So I have one list here that gives you like a a clever little paragraph. The other one gives you the top three in each state. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like flipping back and forth here. Washington State. Yes. Uh, Let's see here. They like, uh, they had saltwater taffy was the state's previous favorite. They would. But now it's Tootsie Pops. Over 223,000 pounds of Tootsie Pops. That is a lot of Tootsie Pop. Yeah. Yeah, How about Florida? Because Florida, we always hear stories about weird things going on in Florida. Voting for people that may or may not have been abducted by aliens. We had that story last hour. Stuff like that. It's probably Gator Taffy. They like, um, let's see here. Ooh, Skittles. 
Ah, oh, yeah. 315 tons of Skittles. Can't go wrong with Skittles. Just on Sunday, a little girl gave me some Skittles that she had lovingly been warming in her hand. And Mm. they were just soft and chewy. Were they all runny? Did Uh it get all over your hands? It got all over her hands. My son has a bag that his aunt gave him. Yeah. Like a, it's like a Ziploc sandwich bag, but she had like a big bag, just a pile of Skittles. Oh, yummy. And he's been eating them, and we always look at him like, dude, you need to not eat the so Don't many. eat the Skittles. And he's like, you want a couple? And that somehow makes it better. <laughs> well, tell him to, to watch out for that ant. Apparently, uh, somebody's been bit by a bunch of ants. I think they were mutated. Mutated ants. Uh, that's our number one of the program, folks. Stick with us. More joy, more fun, more candy insights up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. The gang's all here. Jeff and Terry are on board. It's going to be fun because we've got a lot to talk about. Today we're going to be talking about housework and... Uh, are you teaming up on your housework, or is it becoming a divisive thing? Hmm. Mm, this is something you got to team up on. If I'm honest, it's done by one person, and that person is most likely not me. Oh, housekeeper. No. Spouse? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's a problem. And we'll be talking about the latest research on what that does to your marriage, to your the psychology, why we think certain chores need to be done by certain people. How long does that go back? There's a, there's a really interesting history that uh, – and it may be, have been the industrialization, the era of industrialized uh, you know, employment where you used to work on the farm. And then the minute you left the farm, when you worked on the farm, everybody did everything together. We were all part of home chores. Then the minute, uh, you know, dad went to the factory, that kind of created this really weird division of labor. And we'll be getting into some of that history with a, a wonderful researcher that's been looking into it in depth. We'll get into all of that. Plus, there is nothing but love and harmony at the White House. Mitch McConnell and President Trump, they are best friends, BFF. Um, <laughs> forever. It seems like they weren't friends. Maybe Mitch had dissed the Don. Maybe the Don. Backhanded compliments toward Mitch McConnell. Are you ready? But in the end, now it's nothing but love. A list of things that President Trump talked about in his press conference. Oh, great. Said he and McConnell are closer than ever before. Says both men and their staffs have been trashing each other in public and private for months. Oh, good. So they're, right. they're closer than they used to be when they did that. He also went on to say other presidents didn't make call to military families of soldiers that had fallen in duty. Yeah, President Obama, he says, totally basically. Totally false. He didn't, but they did. And then all the presidents came back and said, hold it. Mostly the staffs. Yeah. Like former attorney generals yeah. and stuff started putting out photographs of the president in question at Making the calls. Air Force Base talking to the families or doing the things that the yeah. president should do. And this is because President Trump has gotten in a little bit of trouble because... There was, what, three men killed in Africa. Twelve days ago. Twelve days ago. And, and he, he has yet to contact the families. He said he wrote uh, some letters that will be mailed today. He says he's been established that no collusion took place with the Russians. 
Bob Mueller is currently in- interrogating the president's associates and advisors on this very point. This all came up in one presser yes. yesterday. Yeah, just wide ranging. Oh, it was it was two separate ones. What was the what was the purpose of the presser? It seems like you would have covered that. It was right after he had lunch with Mitch McConnell oh, to okay. help unify the relationship, sure. Sure. and then he just kept talking. So did it they, sounds like they had a guys' weekend as well. They kind of did. Well, it, went guys, well. it was kind of more like a lunch. He also said that he has the votes right now for a bipartisan health care fix. He does not. But he said he does. Well, maybe he knows something that no one else in his in the world knows. On uh, GOP senators, he says, I'm not going to blame myself. I'll be honest. They are not getting the job done. Wait a minute. <laughs> have, we, have we ever heard him say, I'll be honest? Hmm? Yeah. He said that Obamacare is finished. It's gone. It's no longer. You shouldn't even mention it anymore. It's gone. There's no such thing <laughs> oh, as Obamacare anymore. I guess it's now called Trump care. Well, if he's going to own it. Well, the irony of this is nobody wanted to own that name. Right. And it was thrust upon Obama. Right? As a it used to be it's pejorative. called the Affordable Health Care Act. Yeah. But as a pejorative, it was yeah. used against Obama. And then he now, owned it. Great. Well, now Trump owns it. I, we are I not guess. to mention Obamacare it's ever Trump again. Care. He asked uh, on Steve Bannon's war on McConnell and the Republican establishment. You were talking about that earlier. He said, Steve, Steve is a friend of mine. I can understand where Steve Bannon is coming from. I know how he feels. There are some Republicans, frankly, that should be ashamed of themselves. Hmm. Okay. And then someone asked him if Hillary should run. Bring it on, he and, says. And uh, uh, he goes, is she going to run? I hope Hillary runs. Please run again, Hillary. Sadly, Hillary took a fall. Did she you hear did. This? Hillary she, fell, broke her, some toes. Her foot was caught in a uh, some cement or something. A vice. So she has like a cast on her foot now. She was, she was apparently walking downstairs with a coffee in her hand, wearing heels, I guess, mm-hmm. and maybe her heel or something caught. The heel got caught and twisted, and now That's she's- That's sad. Like, That's yeah. scary. So she, her- uh, her events for her book, because that's why she's in Europe, yeah. is, has been cut oh, back it was in dramatically. Europe. Yeah. Boy, there's nothing worse than breaking a toe. Well, I mean, losing a leg would be the, worse. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to think. Much Wait, worse. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a whole bunch of fact-checking on the news last night. Like, yeah, wait, wait but a you second. know what? And then, and then one, one uh, Fox News reporter who asked about Hillary Clinton, then people started coming after him on Twitter, like, why are you even asking about her? I don't like it. The, and he responded that because she's running a shadow government, uh, mm. she needs to remain part of the conversation. Oh, and really? People are like, what are you talking about? And apparently he was referring to some term that's used in British Parliament. Oh, okay. And confused everyone on, yeah. is he like, this is a conspiracy theory? What are you talking about? So that was something that happened yesterday also. This is this is There's crazy. some shadow governments happening. Okay. Boy. <laughs> Well then, it was a very eventful press conference. It was very positive, from what the president said. I'm just said. glad they're back then, together. I'm glad they're friends. If they are, we're not sure. You know they are. You think so? Because oh, Mitch yeah. McConnell looked very uncomfortable standing there. Well, I think anybody would, because you don't know what he's going to say. Right. And, you know, he Mitch has his own set of facts. Well, yeah. Mostly that there is no votes for health care, and that's why there is no health care. Well, and it's really hard to talk. Let me be honest about the GOP, and there's a lot of these people that are really messing things up, and the head of the Senate GOP is standing right there. Okay. (laughs) 
Anyway, we'll hug it out later. It's great, huh? Let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? In a speech Monday night, Senator John McCain accused U.S. leadership of promoting spurious nationalism over international obligations. To refuse the obligations of international leadership and our duty to remain the last best hope of Earth for the sake of some half-baked spurious nationalism cooked up by people who would rather find scapegoats than solve problems... McCain, who delivered the speech while accepting the National Constitution Center's Liberty Medal, is, as he says, it's as unpatriotic as an attachment to any other tie or tried dogma or tired dogma of the past wow. that Americans co-signed to the ash heap of history. He also condemned a neo-Nazi rally, rallying cry, stating that we live in a land made of ideas, not blood and soil. Which is what uh, those guys chanted as yeah. they march around Charlottesville. Do you know what? This is so refreshing. To have somebody that has a terminal illness right. that's willing to say really what they think instead of all of this hype and political. Shouldn't you know. take a terminal illness for us to get to that point. No, but point everyone though. else is afraid to. Yeah. You, you hear of the, uh, the, the TV shows, the political shows, trying to book senators and members of the House after something crazy happens and no one answers a phone. And they're just like, <laughs> what's going on? Because how Nobody do you respond? Want, they don't want to respond. They don't want to have to say that they're against what was said. And you don't want, yeah, you don't want that target put on your back. That too. Good it's job. Bad. I North mean, whether you like John McCain's words or not, he's, a, he's now free to speak. Yes. As is cor- Corker, uncorked. Uncorked. A North, a North Korean official told CNN the country would not consider diplomacy with the U.S. until it has developed a ballistic missile capable of striking all the way to the east coast of the mainland U.S. Oh. So now we know. Diplomacy starts after they yeah. can take out any part of the country, not now, just like okay. to Chicago. Now we got to talk. Yeah. The, the official added that before engaging in talks with the U.S., we want to send a clear message that the DPRK, North Korea, has a reliable defense and offensive capabilities to counter any aggression from the United States. President Trump has previously threatened North Korea, stating a speech at the U.N. that if the U.S. is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. So they've responded by saying, we'll talk to you once we can pick any target in your country. Oy vey. This, is this diplomacy? They say that uh, North Korea also said over the weekend that we're, that we're minutes away at any moment from a war with nuclear weapons. Well, that's good. Yeah, so just things to make you think, you know? I liked it better when we were thinking we'd be destroyed by a volcano in Wyoming. Saw a lot of uh, 1950s <laughs> duck and cover yeah. videos and uh, just captions of you know kids crawling under their desks because that's the that was the climate people were living right. in at that point. yeah now what is it now everyone will be on their phone tweeting somebody when the big bomb hits i guess oh, one family's dream vacation at niagara falls turned into a nightmare this weekend when a 10 year old boy toppled over a railing and oh, fell into the gorge no way please say the boy was on the canadian side of the falls when his family decided to take a picture of horseshoe falls the largest of the three falls making up Niagara Falls. Right? Help me, eh? He was sitting on the railing, having his pictures taken by his mother, when he apparently lost his balance and fell backwards over the railing 100 feet, injuring his head, the BBC reports. No. Members of the Niagara Falls Fire Department and the Niagara Parks Police High Angle River Team, so a rescue team, uh, and other medical services were able to stabilize the boy so he could be taken by helicopter to a hospital and nearby. His injuries were originally considered life-threatening, but the hospital later changed his condition to serious but stable. Holy cow. So he fell in and survived and is that expected is to recover. That is unbelievable. You heard of Harvey Longy. 
Yep. Did you hear about that? Got in a car, car accident. accident with his wife. Former BYU player. Who does he play for? The Ra- uh, uh, Patriots. Sure. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Just so, signed a deal. He's like got the best rookie, non-drafted rookie deal. Hmm. Free agent. Free agent, yep. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Okay. And a, a legal update for you. Oh, is this about Jess' lawsuit? No, this is different. Okay. A district court in Illinois has ruled that law enforcement may force people to use their fingerprint to unlock Apple devices during their search of a house. They may force it? Yes. The ruling overturns a decision from a lower court and marks a significant increase in the steps cops can take to force people to unlock devices. The ruling only applies in one particular case with a very specific set of circumstances. Well, that doesn't help. Right. So police officers had already obtained a warrant to search a house. They were looking for... Um, horrible things on computers. Let's leave it that way. They expected yeah. to find at least one iPad and one iPhone on the premises. They wanted to be able to force any occupants found on the premises to unlock the devices using Touch ID during the search. The rationale was that the cops already had a search warrant for the house and for the devices and that they had reasonable suspicion that any device found would belong to the people in the house at the time. They also stressed the fact that due to mobile devices, encryption using Touch ID during the search would be the only chance they'd have to unlock the devices. So now they're saying mm. as mm. part of the search warrant is the right that you have to open the computer. Apparently. In, in that one in this situation. situation. But this is the kind of thing that... That's the precedent. It's a precedent. That, and then can you maneuver or however you okay. make that work? But what if they're like some of my family members that can't remember the password? Right. Not sure. <laughs> it says courts have been grappling for the past few years with questions of encryption, fingerprints, and constitutional rights. Companies, including Apple, have been dragged into the fight... And different courts have used vastly different rulings. A ruling set as a precedent to forcibly unlock phones using fingerprints is very narrow. Law enforcement already has a search warrant for the premises. They're operating on a limited time frame to begin with. So it used to be that um, they couldn't force you to use your fingerprint. Yeah. But then other other courts are like, well, we take your fingerprint as evidence. So Why couldn't we, we can do that. So what people would do is you turn off the phone and by default it would make you put in the password. They can't make you give you make make you give them the password because it's 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 a separate thing there. Other courts have said they can make you give up the password. So it, boy, depending on where you live, the law could be completely different as to what they can and can't do when it comes to unlocking your phone. We have ways of making you give up your password. There might be torture. You don't know. That was audio from the search warrant. That's it. So that's. It's a big deal. Do, do you own your thumbprint? Is that yours? Well, or is I used that, to. Or is that something that you can be compelled to use? Well, my sure. mother taught me that my fingerprints... Uh, Were like snowflakes? No. No two are the same. No, my fingerprints were on every glassy object in our house, and I needed to <laughs> Quit touching everything. Usually with some kind of a frosting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she, so they are... That's me, right? That, I mean, that's uniquely me. You have right to take that whenever you want. If they, they take your fingerprint when they book you. Well, yeah, that's so if that, you do something wrong. Right. But, but if they pull you over, you did maybe you were speeding. Is that enough to, to compel you to use your fingerprint? No. Right? Well, exactly. Because now <clears throat> they can get so much data on your phone. What were you doing when you rear-ended right. that car? Or, or that, that's when you stumble into something else. But then once they're into your phone – then they can find other stuff that you know. They would find my offshore bank accounts. Mm-hmm. They would find ooh what? Anyway, well, I, just, I mean hypothetically. Oh, hypothetically. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. I'm not like good, oh, good. I have an offshore That's bank great. account. Um, 
Crazy. Okay. Well, that's life. Laws keep changing. Slowly, we lose more and more of our <laughs> sense of independence and freedom. Possibly. But at least, hey, at least you've got an iPhone X. Not yet. Ten. And apparently, they'll have severe shortages, and people that want them for Christmas will not get them. But until not March. as many people want them as they thought would want them. They don't know that yet. Apparently, more sevens are being sold than eights, even. Oh wow, it's crazy. Who, everyone's moving to a seven, which doesn't make sense because why this, would you not move to an eight? The eight is almost double the speed of a seven. Yeah. So why wouldn't you just get a faster phone? But uh, you know, maybe it's double the speed and half the or double the problems. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Mm. Yeah. If you're paying in Benjamins. I just use credit. Then you don't even have to pay. I use Lincoln's. It makes it look like it's more. Oh, mm. really? Just fives. Yeah. You can do Washington's, but like, that's crazy. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Let's get to the headlines. Uh, the empty news. The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. This is a big problem. Why was there an apple there? miscellaneous sound effect. It's just like somebody threw that in there? It's such a quality sound effect. You know exactly what that is. Oh, I know, but we've beat that apple to death. Anyway. So this is a problem for this uh, gunman. He was a burglar. He a uh, Florida man. He's facing a litany of felony charges after breaking into a hotel room over the weekend and holding the occupant at gunpoint until he fell asleep and the man escaped. <laughs> So, you know, like I said, this is a big problem, and it's kind of the number one reason why I had to stop, you know, holding people up no, yeah. and stealing well, from them. Yeah, you have that sleep I just, I, problem. I kept falling asleep. So and you always had to take your CPAP. Yeah. Everywhere you'd go, you'd always have to carry your CPAP in. I'd have to say, hold on, let me chug this Coke real quick. Uh, according to police reports, a guest in room 206 at the Days Inn on 23rd Street answered a knock at the door Saturday and was met by Jerry Allen Mills Jr. with a gun. Hi, I'm Jerry Allen Mills. <laughs> Jr. Jr. Mills allegedly forced his way into the hotel room and threatened to shoot the victim if he tried to run away. The two remained in the hotel room for an extended period of time until Mills fell asleep. As you can hear here, and the victim was able to escape. Sometime later, Mills wandered down to the front desk where he was confronted by three front desk clerks on duty. During the ensuing argument, Mills pulled out the handgun, pointing it it at the clerks and pulling the trigger several times while yelling, bang, the gun didn't fire. Mill was arrested See, later that night for bad miming. I was going to skip most of the story because, you know, it's like, you know, you got yeah. armed hostage taking. This is and a big deal. It's kind of a heavy story, and he's pulling the gun on people later. But he said, bang. Bang, bang, bang. So he knew it was unloaded. Yeah. You know what I mean? He didn't have Kaboom. bullets. Kaboom. <laughs> I'm going to throw a grenade now. <whistles> bang. That's yeah. uh, something's not right there. Here's another crook story. Okay. Love a good crook story. Uh, A burglar made a clean getaway from a Long Island restaurant after emptying the cash register, cooking a meal, and washing the dishes. What? Will Cologne restaurant owner says he found bent burglar bars when he arrived Tuesday at Nelly's Taqueria in Hicksville, New York. Security video showed the intruder put on food service gloves and started heating up a pot before hammering the register open. So maybe he's a hypochondriac? I don't know. No, he's just he's just past the health code. 
classes. Hypochondriac, that's where you're afraid of all the germs and being, everything, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Being sick. Okay. Every sickness is yours. Oh, okay. He pocketed the money and put a dollar in the tip jar. No then, way. Cologne says the man started cooking up a storm in the dark uh, beans, chicken, shrimp. Cologne says the dude had some skills. After eating, he covered and refrigerated the food and wiped down surfaces. He, what a gentleman. Exactly. That is an excellent, excellent You know, to me, it sounds like he must work at uh, the Crook Cleaners. Ever wake up to find all your prized possessions have been stolen, but that your home has been left spick and span? Chances are you've been a victim of the Crook Cleaners. Like any good Boy Scout, the Crook Cleaners believe in leaving a place cleaner than when they found it. And that includes the homes they rob. In partnership with the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job, the Crook Cleaners work hard to ensure your most traumatizing experience is also your most pleasant one. Just listen to some of our reviews on Yelp, where we have a surprisingly high 3.2 star rating. T.O.D. in Tulsa writes, I woke up to find my TV was gone, but so was the ring in the bathtub. Jackie O. writes, My current cleaners charge an arm and a leg and do such a poor job. I felt like I was already being robbed, so it's all good. Wayne Newton Love You writes, Please, can I have my TV back? Also, can I get the name of the cleanser you used on the kitchen counter? It's so sparkly clean. And Mad Dog 472318 writes, I hope these guys burn for all eternity. There will be a special place in purgatory just for them. However, they will also hold a special place in my heart. And the best part? No appointments necessary. It's like the old saying goes, don't call us, we'll call on you. And you don't even have to be home. In fact, we prefer it that way. The Crook Cleaners. We'll take you to the cleaners, and then we'll leave your home cleaner. How do you divide up the chores at your house? You know, household chores have traditionally uh, been seen as a woman's responsibility, even though today more women are in the workforce than ever before. And is that is that the way it should be? What I mean, how, how did this even come to be? A study conducted recently that uh, women spend about 14 hours per week doing household uh, chores, housework, compared with men who only spend nine hours per week. So uh, we wanted to bring in um, a, an expert on the subject that can help us understand the research behind what's going on with our home chores. And who better to help us than uh, Professor Dr. Renata Forsty, a BYU professor, is joining us on the phone today to talk about why household chores should be equally divided in a relationship and the real positive impact it has on our lives. Renata, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. What made you want to study, of all things, house chores? Well, I teach uh, courses on women's studies, and it's something I've been interested in. I've been focusing on women and their well-being and their education and having resources so that they can take care of their families. And women are the primary people engaged in unpaid labor, and so I was interested in how that's distributed. It really is um, it's fascinating. I grew up in a home where with a single mom that was 
uh, and three sisters, and we had to get the jobs done. She had to go work, and we had to yeah. we had a lot of work to do. <laughs> but it's but it's interesting that it there there's a history to this. Maybe walk us through how we got to where we are today in in kind of how we see our social roles. Well, in part, I mean, certainly during if you think about you know Little House on the Prairie and during the more colonial times and early in our history when we had an agricultural society both men and women had to work together yeah men often were the ones that went out and produced the raw goods and women were the ones who were the manufacturers and worked in the home and so it took both of their labor in order to survive and the goods that they produced could be exchanged on the market and had that kind of exchange value but then with the Industrial Revolution, then the locus of work has shifted outside the home. And with labor laws and changes, more and more people were able to do well financially so that men could work and women could stay home. This was more like middle and upper class families, uh, working class families. Women have already always been in paid labor. But then women could, could stay home and you had this sort of separate spheres. And so the home became sort of the the private place of women and their domain and men were seen as the ones that were supposed to go out and work in the public space. And that sort of created this, this change in how we think about men and women's roles and also the value of those roles, because now the things that are produced in the home don't have the same exchange value right. that they had in an agricultural society. And then we had, you know, with um, World War I, World War II, women went into the factories, worked in ammunition. Um, but then when the men came home, women lost their jobs, had to, were, were taken out of the labor force. And you had the baby boom, you know, during the 1950s when you had a you know, small cohort of people given the depression and the wars, and they could get married early, they could get married young, they could buy a house out in the suburbs and start their family right away. And so, again, you had this sort of middle class. And this is what we think of as sort of the traditional family. So women stayed home, took care of their children, and husbands went to work. By the 1970s, you know, the baby booms now moved into the labor force. We've had changes in the economy. We're shifting from um, a a manufacturing-based economy to a technology-based economy. And those high-paying manufacturing jobs begin to disappear. And so... What happens in starting in the 1970s is then men's wages begin to decline. More women go into the labor force because of different push and pull factors. And so you have increasingly women working, Hmm. um, but at the same time, men aren't necessarily stepping in and picking up the slack at home. And so you have women doing what's sometimes referred to um, as the second shift. So they work during the day at their paid labor, and then they come home and work at home in their unpaid labor. Um, and so there's still this expectation. We've we've come to see household labor as as women's work, and we tend to define it that way. And women see it as part of their, you know, their identity. Oh boy! And it um, I get to the 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 research shows that this doesn't create a lot of family satisfaction. It doesn't no, create a lot it, of happiness. It creates a lot of tired women. <laughs> it really does. And and in turn, and and um, but in a weird way, like what men that don't get why i mean they're tired well, because it it creates a weird dynamic that i could sit there and watch my wife work but think it's her job right right that's yeah. got to i mean and so one point i guess you make is there are no male or female jobs right there's, there's just jobs right it's just it's just work that needs to be done and and my perspective is that i mean a big part of the problem is not that it has to be 
divided up equally. It has to be divided up so that the people see it, you know, each partner sees it as fair, yeah. that they're doing their fair contribution. And that's what's associated with, you know, uh, family satisfaction, if you see like the division is fair. And it's, it's that if we see it as just work and it's important work, and especially if we value that work, I think that's part of the problem. We've sort of as a society, because the housework, the things that are done in the home are in the private sphere, they're less visible, they don't have the same, you know, they don't have a salary attached to it. They don't have that kind of status attached to it. And, and because it's seen as women's work, we just don't value it. We don't give it the same um, status that we do paid work out in the, in the labor force. Mm. And so, you know, part of it is I think if we actually both did it, if we were both engaged in it, and if both partners, both genders valued it, um, saw it as an important contribution to family life, then I think that would make a big difference too. Yeah, part of so that some of it is yeah how we see it, the valuing of it. Plus, it seems like if you came from a maybe a traditional family, dad worked, mom stayed home, or even maybe a Christian family where that may have been instilled in in um, a church or in our belief system, uh, it's sometimes you might not um you might just go with the historic roles instead of actually negotiating this this reality with our spouse presently right right and and especially as you know more and more families depend on women to work in the paid labor force you know i think it's it becomes more and more important for families to look at this as you know whether it's providing financially or taking care of your family terms of housework and those kinds of tasks, they're all important in terms of family well-being. And if we value all of that and we're all willing to contribute, and then it's just this negotiation of, you know, who does what when. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I guess that's the key, huh? It's a negotiation. Do you, how do you suggest we go about making or doing that negotiation? Because I assume it's, it might be men need to maybe step up more and women need to let go more. Well, I know there's a, there was an, an interesting study that came out of the University of Michigan from the panel's study of income dynamics, and they looked at uh, single women and single men yeah. and uh, how much housework they were doing, and then when they got married. So this is, you know, going from single to married, no children. And as women got married, their housework load increased seven hours a week. And as men got married, their housework load decreased an hour a week. So just adding a husband, you know, increased, you know, an hour a day for yeah. women, and it decreased the amount of work that men did. And so I think part of it is is how we approach it and look at our responsibilities within a, a, a couple and within a household. And again, if we value that work and we're all willing to participate, that's what you have. You have to have that first before you can actually then start to negotiate. Right. That makes sense. I yeah. Mean, I think you have to have that underlying appreciation and value um, given to the work before you can actually then talk about how you're going to divide it up. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. The appreciation of it. Um, it's Was that the same study where they were cohabitating couples? I read somewhere cohabitating couples, uh, they almost had parity in the work, but the yeah. minute they got married – the woman ended up doing more and the man did less. <laughs> yeah. And that, it's like and it, that's it's just a role. True. Yeah. It's sort of true because the cohabiting couples, they're, you know, they're much more focused on dividing everything up equally because the relationship is less stable. But yeah. then once you get married and you're in this long term, then, you know, if, you know, if that's the way the couple wants to divide it up, 
That's fine. He's going to work full time and she's going to stay home. But even then, you know, when he comes home, is she off work? No, right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) right. Um, And I think part of it is how we just even think about that work. I mean, how many times do people say, does your mother work? Right. Or does your wife work as if housework isn't work? That's right. And I think, again, it's it's how we value it. I think that's where we have to make sort of a fundamental change and just think of it as work, not women's work, not just housework. It's just it's part of what we do to take care of our families. I mean, it's, you know, housework is one of those things that you don't appreciate until it's not done. Right. It's <laughs> that's we tend to so take it true. For granted. It really is. And it's, I mean, to how, how hard would that be to spend, you know, 50 hours a week doing something that nobody appreciates? Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like got to be so empty. And even if you love doing it, you would still hope that somebody would recognize it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in part, too, because women tend to do more of the daily tasks that have to be done over and over. You know, you never clean the last toilet. You never cook your last meal. You never wash your last, you know, load of laundry. Um, men tend to do things that are more, you know, you mow the lawn. Um, they're done, you know, small. You take care of the car, those kinds of things, which are done not, you know, daily. And, um, you know, sometimes you can... There's more value attached to some of those kinds of things because they're somewhat more visible. So I think part of it is just, you know, I, I think appreciating that is critical and valuing it as as a couple, both partners. You know, yeah. Not just valuing the financial contribution, but val- valuing that that unpaid labor and how important that is to the family well-being. Does it? Um, and then, like you say, it may not matter how how we divide it up after that. You, you use the word. It, it really needs to be. I guess fair, fair. not mm-hmm. not equal. Like it doesn't have to be fifty fifty. It just has to be fair and perceived as okay, perceived as right. what you want. Yeah. Well, and you know, I've 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 run into students, you know, in the grocery store and and realize that oh, you know, he's the one that does the cooking because he's a better cook than his. Yeah. Wife. You know, and that's the way they've divided it up. So I think it's just, you know, I don't think it has to be fifty fifty. I think it just has to be perceived as fair. And is it? You know, studies have shown that most women, you know, like 60 percent feel like the division of household labor is not fair. And most men say that they don't they do less than their fair share. I mean, they know they're not. They know it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I and I do less than my fair share and I feel guilty and I still don't change. What a jerk. (laughs) Renata, what a jerk. And it's so it really is. It's. I mean, a part of it is like, I'm tired. I've been working all day, but so has she. (laughs) And we don't, we just don't see it. So it's about appreciating it. It's about valuing it. It sounds like it's also then about having those conversations and really, you know, more hands make lighter work. So we, I, I also sit there and think, why aren't our kids doing more? Yeah. Why aren't we getting everybody more involved? More involved. Yeah. And that, that helps make it more visible. And I think if everybody's contributing, you're going to, take better care of things. You know, you're not going to come tromping across the kitchen floor with muddy shoes if you're the one that just mopped it clean. Right. <laughs> That's so true. You you know, you you take better care of your possessions when you're engaged in, in that kind of work. Is um, and, and I guess overall then what you see, Renata, in the research is you would actually see more family satisfaction, more life yes. satisfaction. Yes. I mean, we've, we've looked at cross-national studies and certainly those families where men are in more engaged in household chores and, you know, women have more of a say in decision-making, um, those, those are the families that have higher satisfaction. 
That's good stuff. Um, what would you – any advice that you just give um, about maybe the whole idea of stereotyping and – because it seems like it's so natural for us. And then we might even chalk it up to like even our religious ideology where, you know, that's just how God made it. Uh, God made the woman the cleaner and the man the earner. And there you have it. But um, how do we not stay so entrenched in old beliefs? Well, I think it takes, you know, being willing to sort of branch out, you know, I mean, to take that first step. If part of it is women have to you know, be willing to not be gatekeepers, you know, yeah. so that they have to not see their, you know, household chores as, as just their identity, that it's part of the whole family, and so that they encourage, you know, their children and their spouse to participate. Um, but at the same time, you know, men who are willing to set that example and to become involved, I mean, generally, there was another, another study that was a qualitative study, and Arlie um, Hochschild was looking at men who do and men who don't. And she found that men who do participate in housework tend to have um, better family lives. They didn't necessarily grow up with a role model, but they um, had a very you know, strong sense of their self and, and their masculinity. They didn't feel threatened to participate hmm. in household chores. Um, they were willing to draw the line at work and come home. And they had you know, happier family lives. And so I think part of it is, is how we if we don't identify men's worth just based on their paycheck um, and that we also value their contribution as fathers and husbands in the household. And if we don't just identify, you know, household work as women's work and we value what women can contribute outside the household too, you know, then I think that's going to create more of an environment where we can work together and appreciate the contributions of each of us. And this, and the truth is it's going to change over time too. I mean, as you're, family situation changes and you age and your opportunities change. You know, I look at my father now who's retired and he's a much more involved, you know, grandfather, mm-hmm. much more willing to help around the house than he was before. And I think in part is because he doesn't feel like he's having to compete, you know, in the business world and that his status doesn't come from a paycheck. His joy Boy, comes yeah. from his family interactions. So I just think it's, if we, I think we have to, you know, work on those stairs stereotypes on both sides, not just the household side of seeing household work as women's work, but also not, you know, valuing the contribution that men make and seeing that as an important part of their role, not just, you know, their paycheck. Yeah. And, and why would we want to narrowly, so narrowly, um, you know, uh, quote, you know, categorize somebody as she's just the house care person and I'm just the outside person and instead broaden those roles? Well, yeah. And especially... Because the most important part of it is your relationships. It's right. really not, you know, how clean the bathroom is or how big your paycheck is. <laughs> That's it, huh? Uh, well, we appreciate you, Renata. This is, I think, great insight for all of us and in reality um, so, so needed and not not happening. And, and I think not happening for a variety of reasons. But uh, you've, you've helped us a lot. Again, Renata Forsty is her name and uh, the research here at BYU. She is the director of the Ken- David M. Kennedy Center for International Studies and an associate international vice president as well. Um, we appreciate uh, her great insight on this topic. Hopefully all of us are, are seeing that there's bigger roles we have to play than housekeeper or breadwinner. We are also spouse and father and teaching the importance of work to everyone in our family. 
We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, folks. Uh, By the way, happy Mulligan Day. Today is the day that uh, you get to take a mulligan, which is derived, uh, came from the 1920s when Canadian golfer David Mulligan made a mistake during the game, and so he retook his shot. And from then on, we've been calling it a mulligan. You get to just try again. So if you blow it today, just take a mulligan. It's not a big deal. Just take a mulligan. Then this is a perfect day to share these stories because we have a couple of people here that probably need to take a mulligan. Yeah, they need to take a mulligan. Yeah. So we've been talking about thieves all morning, and here's another one. So a would-be thief in Rio de Janeiro uh, uh, apparently chose the wrong gym to rob. Uh Uh-oh. So surveillance camera footage shared widely on social media shows the man entering the gym (laughs) and jumping a turnstile after arguing with the receptionist. Several seconds later, the man is seen jumping back over the turnstile and fleeing outside. He is chased by several jujitsu students (laughs) dressed in uniforms. Oh, boy. Jiu-Jitsu teacher Edgar Neto told the Associated Press that the incident happened Monday night and he reported it to police. The man managed to escape. Police said Wednesday he hadn't been arrested, but they have recovered one of his sandals that fell off during the chase. Ah, so now they will know when they find him, they'll be able to put a sandal on him and know that it was the guy. It'll be like Cinderella, mm-hmm. where they'll be able to take his footprint, you know, from when he was a baby. You don't you don't try to sneak into a jujitsu you know, joint. You're going to pay for that. Exactly. They can yeah. break you 500 different ways. In the end, it'll be the sandal that gets them. It's always the sandal. Ah. So uh, here's another strange one. So there is a group of 15 Ronald McDonald's guys dressed up as the Ronald McDonald clown. Like from, a, it's from, like a gang. It's like yeah. a Ronald McDonald gang. They mobbed a Burger King branch to taunt the staff of the Burger King by chanting something derogatory about the quality of the food. Uh-huh. I think it's interesting that the they are uh, coming from McDonald's, <laughs> going into a Burger King, you know, insulting them about but their food. I have a hard time believing this was a McDonald's sanctioned event. Mm, you never know. You never know. It's true, I guess. So McDonald's mascot mob burst into a Burger King location 165 miles west of London. Footage shows the mob wearing the iconic yellow onesie and red hair, accompanied by Ronald's rival, the Hamburglar, Uh as they chanted at cashiers. A witness claims the scene went on for around five minutes before the gang tired, shook hands with the Burger King employees, and left. So it ended... Amiably, at least. That is a violent bunch, though. Yeah, but they ended by shaking hands. But I thought, you know what? This is how you know that that's that's a rogue. That's a rogue McDonald's Ronald McDonald gang, because the hamburger was there. McDonald's is probably the last uh, establishment that should be getting on Burger King's case for not having quality food. Hold it! Don't disrespect. Or you're going to have 10 Ronald McDonald's show up here and meet you after the show. Don will be one of them. Yeah. Donald Don- McDonald. Donald McDonald. Um, by the way, 
that's 10 Ronald McDonald's but affiliating with a felon, the Hamburglar. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always found that weird that McDonald's was promoting a felon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stealing of hamburgers. So that, you know, is the Hamburglar that put this gang together. Oh, yeah. And what, what did they get out of it except just pride, I guess, of taunting? This is bullying gone bad. <laughs> this is really bad. And oddly enough, it ended with a handshake. Yeah. But hmm. what was on the hand? Ooh. See? Clown, Clown makeup? Yeah. A lot of white makeup and red lipstick. Well, there you have it, folks. It could be worse for you. You could be working at a Burger King and have a gang of thug Ronald McDonald, you know, players and the Hamburglar coming in messing with your location. Scary. We'll continue the journey. Up next, we're going to get a little uh, feedback from Leanna Tan about which, uh, what did she choose? Did she choose the corn maze with scary people or kind of the benign corn maze? Straight ahead, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Yes, that is the scary music, and the scary music is always means that Leanna Tan is in the room. <laughs> Leanna Tan, one of our great uh, producers here, she every once in a while she'll throw out a tangent. And last week we talked to her about she had she was being asked out on a date with friends, and they had to decide if they would go to the scary corn maze or the non-scary corn maze. She really preferred the non-scary but did want to make sure that there was caramel corn and um, a lot of good churros. Okay. <laughs> Leanna, welcome to the program. Thank you. We asked you to come back and give us an update on what was your decision. What what did you choose? Okay. I'll, so my decision was I didn't really want to go haunted, but I said I would go with a huge group. If there was a big enough group, I would go to the haunted part. No, is this because, because you protected. didn't want to go with this guy? <laughs> I just wanted as much protection as possible. Are you saying this I'm guy can't saying, protect you? I'm just saying I wanted a lot of protection. Okay. But we then, understand. so we bought the tickets. We? Right? Okay. So he bought the tickets. Okay. <laughs> they went Dutch. They went then, Dutch. Yeah. No, he bought them, and um, so he can't. He, he's protecting you enough to be able to pay your ticket. <laughs> yes, but listen to this: everyone else bailed, but three of us. <laughs> so it was me and him and my friend. Did they Even bail? Nene, Holy, Nene bailed. Did they Nene bail, or did something? Because she's pregnant, so she couldn't handle. Well, yeah, life, you don't so want to do that. Know, Maybe something know, but... happened to each one of them one at a time. <gasps> did, have you called them? Are they still around? I I don't know. I saw one of them yesterday, and they were like, you're alive. So let me get this straight. So you said I'll only do it if there's like 50 people, and in the end they're all like, yeah, for sure, we'll get you 50. And then in the end it was you, not so protective guy, <laughs> and a third person. <laughs> yeah, it was me and my boyfriend. and Oh, your boyfriend. <gasps> oh, is that what we're calling him now? Okay, sorry. I meant no, has and changed. no offense. So I had to cling to both of them. Two wonderful men on both sides of me. Oh, so you had two, <laughs> two boyfriends. Yeah, yeah. Two boyfriends. And then you went to the haunted one. And we did the haunted one. We did the normal corn maze for yeah. everyone first. And then there was a haunted trail that we did. Oh, the haunted trail. I was scared for my life. It was 
Did it? I, w- I, had, I thought I was going to, I don't know, throw up or something. Oh, don't do that. I thought I was going to faint. So. But I, for your pleasure, I, um, I okay. recorded the whole thing. Oh, this is great. So we can listen yeah. to you going down the haunted trail. Exactly. So here is a reliving of my traumatic experience. So what are your uh, strategies to stay alive? Close my eyes, think about hot springs and Chinese food. How am I in the line? We could uh, just kind of lighten the mood and like skip through it. Okay, so you're gonna, we're about to enter, we're about to enter. Are you closing your eyes then? <laughs> you think he knew I was scared? It's still there. <laughs> We're stuck in this tiny little poop thingy. Oh, I think something touched me. Oh my god. Chinese food and hot springs. Chinese food and hot springs. Is it gone? Oh, it's what the heck is that? Oh my gosh. Where the heck are we? <laughs> this took quite a bit to go. Are you this serious? Is just the porn part. Oh my gosh. Ow, it's like pulling my hair. <laughs> touched my ear. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ow. Your shoulder ran into my face. Oh, are you okay? Are you yeah. bleeding? Are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I wanted to know. Oh my gosh, I can't open my eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh, my face. Your nose is taking a beat. Oh, my whole body. I don't like this one. What is that? Oh my. Let's not go towards it. I'm getting dizzy. Oh my gosh. Oh, we made it through. Oh my gosh. I didn't know we should have censored that. It's wow. a lot of potty mouth there. It's, oof. It didn't sound like it was two men and a woman. It sounded like it was like 50 16 year old girls. That was crazy screaming. It was terrifying. So yeah. that doesn't sound appealing. But I have to be honest. What Nene said was true. That it was. I mean, it was scary while while we were there. But it was a great bonding activity. And at the end, yesterday, I had a great time. I laughed really hard listening to all of that. Oh yeah. That we captured. Why so. is your nose swollen? <laughs> yeah, ran into my face a few times. Um, so you said somebody's shoulder ran into your face. Yeah, but that wouldn't Courtney's it really be... part was also true. I also got beaten up. I was in the you middle, did. and I just got took all the beatings to my face. Like, so why two boyfriends? Like, yeah, why two? Why'd you bring two boyfriends with you? I needed you? all this. I mean, really, it's not very flattering because I could would have clung to anything in there. I could have clung to my high school math teacher, whatever oh, wow. was there. I'd have was been, he there ah! too? I think he was. He's the <laughs> one that jumped Mr. out. Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I so. cling to you? Um, well, that sounds fun, kind of. You should do it. Yeah, that's Next not weekend. happening. Let's take all of you. <laughs> no, let's not let's do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Wow, Leanna, that was intense. But fear can be comedic, I guess. I did, by the way, did you did it engage your desire to hold your boyfriend tighter? Like I said, I would have clung to anything, but I guess I was glad it was him. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's okay. that's where. And by the way, for those listening, that's where her boyfriend got the nickname Cornbelly, because I it's it was a corn maze. He could shoot corn out of his belly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Any way to strengthen a relationship, just take them into a haunted corn maze and and pop them in the nose. Yeah, exactly. Great advice from Leanna Tan. You're Thanks welcome. for the tangent. 
Hey, that's hour number two of the program. More fun straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Happy Tuesday to you, along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is all here. Gathered for your enjoyment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We got a lot of tips for you. Jeff, with Jeff back, uh, he gave us uh, in our first hour of the show, I believe it was the first hour. It's all a blur now. Um, he talked about his rental car fiasco. Oh, yeah. And so some of our texters have been texting in some really cool advice about rental cars. This is a, this is a great tip. It's from Craig H. And uh, he said, at Dr. Matt Show. Yeah. Secret. Always reserve the economy car because they run out of those first and will upgrade you for free. See? See, we kind of had a different experience where we paid for a higher car. They didn't have it, so they downgraded us, but they didn't refund our money. It's never good to be downgraded. It's always better to be upgraded. Yes. That's a great trick. A trick in the travel industry. See? Another great little insight you don't get from any other station. Thank you, Craig H., Craig H. The Craig H. And thanks for listening. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, of course. Um, oh, wait. What? If you want to comment on the show, go to at Dr. Matt Show, send us more tweets, and we'll read them on the show. It's a great point. Especially if you're critical of Matt. And if you have any yeah. more tips. <laughs> if you want to do that. <laughs> if you have any more car rental tips, let us know, and you could win a $30 voucher to the car rental place called Sixth, don't, don't, don't give it. Don't give their name. No, 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 no. They, they keep it a secret. They oh, shafted you. It's called Splixed. S P L I X T. Splixed. It just it's self-explanatory. Thirty dollar voucher on the line, folks. You guys, that's the problem. You ordered a Mercedes and you got a Malibu. Yeah. Rip off. So what would have happened if we ordered the Malibu and they didn't have it? You, you would go. have gotten a Daihatsu. You go. Would have been a Yugo. Yugo is the bottom rung. Oh, don't say that. No, it truly is. Do they even make them anymore? No, that's why they're the bottom rung. There's no parts anymore. They're actually called Yugon. Yeah. <laughs> Yugon. We got a lot to talk about um, in this hour. Of course, uh, Julie Nelson will be talking to us about spooky parents in the news. That's always scary. Um, also, BYU Sports Nation, those are good brethren, will be joining us. And yesterday we talked about BYU football, which I don't know if you've heard. It's not going so well. But that's all right. That's all right. The the Sports Nation crew, they're doing what they can to bring you other insights, other information to help you uh, to get through your your in, incredible need for sports. Also, of course, we'll do a hero story and uh, other headlines, including six women show up to the same wedding wearing the same dress. Oh, and they no, weren't they bridesmaids. Didn't. Oh, yes, they did. They weren't even bridesmaids, but they all showed up wearing the same dress. Which, oh, no. What, what that means is Kohl's had a sell. <laughs> and whenever Kohl's has a sell, everyone's going to be wearing the dress to the wedding. So we will... Um, 
we'll have to we'll have to I mean I'm not usually bringing up wedding news like dress news but some things you just you just like you know like I love seeing six women wearing the exact same outfit do, do guys you, I mean it seems like at a wedding tons of guys are wearing the same blue suit that's true, and nobody bats an eye. Nobody says anything. Do you think there's something wrong with spending hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars on an outfit that you're only going to wear once? Yes. Because That's cray-cray. Even if you wanted to wear it again, most of us, whether you're a man or a woman, you're not going to fit in that you ever should. again. Well, oh, that's rude. No, I, Are you I, calling the bride fat? Honest, no. Are you saying the bride's gaining weight? I included men in that. I know, but why would a man try to wear a wedding gown? It doesn't just have to do with weight. Our, our measurements change as the years progress. Tell me more. <laughs> you just want – you're just trying to get me to dig myself into a hole, <laughs> which, you know, I don't even think it was uh, a hole. No, but it's um, it's true. You shouldn't spend a lot of money on a – on a dress that you wear once. Right. Okay. And let's just assume that you you do weigh the same throughout your life. Your measurements let's are say, somewhat the same. Yeah. Okay. Let's say you never eat. Let's say At that. what occasion would you wear that wedding dress? You wouldn't. All you would exactly. do, you try it on about every 10 years and say, see? See? I still got it. Mama's got it. <laughs> but then you would have to take it out of yeah. one of those preservation boxes that you spent hundreds of dollars to put it yeah, in in the just, first place. It's, it's just a – It's, it's a, a no win. It's a no win. You know what you do? You borrow a dress from a friend that was nuts enough to buy one. Can't that be the something borrowed? There you go. That's right. Something new, why can't that just be like the fork set? That's right. Something blue, it could just be those toes of yours after you've been squeezing them into those really tight shoes you never wear. What's the other? Is that it? Something Something borrowed, borrowed, something something new, something, something, something blue. Uh, something um, stinky, something new. Something so, with shoes. That's the stinky. Know. Yeah. Stinky blue toe. You know, it's pretty common. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the insight. Again, you don't get on any other program. We like to go deep and sell it cheap. Uh, let's now go to Terry South for the headlines. Terry, enlighten us about the world. The U.S. NS Comfort. The U.S. Com- Navy ship Comfort. Okay, yeah. A floating state-of-the-art hospital is anchored off the coast of hurricane-ravaged Puerto Rico. They're there to save everybody in Puerto Rico. With 250 hospital beds for patients in the U.S. territory unable to be served by overcrowded hospitals and clinics lacking supplies and reliable electricity. So you park a floating hospital offshore, and then you can take the people that you're having trouble helping on land and put them on the state-of-the-art ship, and you can help people. That's... Problem solved, right? Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Where is this going to go? This is going, but I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. Everything's going according to plan and schedule. It's great. Except there's a ship that could save a lot of lives, help a lot of people, bring a lot of supplies. Tons. And nobody can get to it. 250 hospital beds on the boat. There are 33 of those beds being used, or 13%. Uh, This according to CNN. Two weeks after Comfort had arrived in the area, the problem, the governor of Puerto Rico says, is the communications flow between clinics, doctors, and Puerto Rico's Department of Health. I asked for a complete revision of 
of that so we can now start seeing more patients over there, he said. I know that we have the capacity. Captain Kevin Robinson, the Comfort's mission commander, tells CNN, he goes, I know we have the capability to help. What the situation is on the ground is, it's not my lane to make any decisions. Almost a month after the hurricane crawled across Puerto Rico, 86% of the island has no electricity, 28% has no drinking water, and most cell towers and antennas are down, and the official death toll stands at 48 and they have this boat that's supposed to be helping with the medical situation, and they can't get people to the boat because of, you know, organizational issues. And as the captain Crazy. says, that's not my decision to make. I'm here to help. Whether they can get them to me or not, that's their problem. He's not saying he can't do anything. He, what he's saying well, is there's people that are in charge of the yeah, recovery yeah. that, for whatever reason, the system they've set up isn't working to get people to me once they're here we can take care of them it, you, so, you would think, something do something well, you'd think that a hospital ship would have already done this thousands of times and have best practices and sure so we'll, what we do is we bring our dinghies there and uh then you put your patients on the dinghies mm. and we take them to the they have to get the people to the shore to, so that the yeah. navy can help and that's the problem so they're trying to fix it. But, again, it's going well. It seems like it's really going well. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl re- uh, pleaded guilty on Monday to charges of desertion with intention to shirk duty and misbehavior before the enemy stemming from his 2009 disappearance and capture by the Taliban. Bergdahl drew international headlines after he left his army outpost in Afghanistan. Over eight years ago, he was captured and held by the Taliban for almost five years until his release was negotiated in 2014 by the Obama administration as part of a prisoner exchange. Upon his return to the United States, Bergdahl returned to duty while an investigation probed the circumstances surrounding his disappearance. He was formally charged in March of 2015. The misbehavior before the enemy charge carries a maximum sentence of life in prison, though sentencing won't take place till later this month. Mm. There was uh, we, we gave over some uh, high-value prisoners in exchange for him, and people were like, this guy just walked away. Yeah. Why are we why are, we have this huge bargaining chip and you're giving them up for this guy? Well, and I think didn't they have some they had they had navy they had special forces people I think die that were out looking for or, him. Or at least they put themselves yeah, in, danger in danger trying to yeah. do that. Yeah, and that's part of the charges is oh. that you deserted so they went and found they tried to find no, you again. No, we leave no one behind. <sighs> so, oh, yeah. Boy. So he's he's uh, going to be sentenced soon. The University of Louisville fired head basketball coach Rick Pitino after the school's I athletic board voted that. Monday yeah. that there was just cause to do so. Pitino was implicated in a bribery scheme in which college basketball programs allegedly paid promising high school players to attend their college. The player on his team in, in uh, question is a guy that his family allegedly got $100,000, and then he decided to go to Louisville. Hmm. It's like, I'm going to Louisville after we get a hundred grand. Uh, the fame coach claims he had no involvement in the scheme. No one really believes that. He was pres- uh, previously suspended after as an assistant coach, and then it goes into a bunch of crazy stuff he did. After the bribery scandal, Patino said he did not dispute the school's right to fire him, but vehemently rejected its right to do so for cause. I have given no cause for termination of my contract. In his contract, there was a stipulation that they, notice, they give him notice of they were going to fire him, and then... Uh, a week, two weeks later, over a period, they would hold a committee meeting to discuss further and, and basically was trying to figure out, are we going to pay him $45 million the rest of his contract or not? Something like that. Wow. So they fired him. So officially, he was fired two weeks ago, but they made it official Official, on official yesterday. today. And it all has to do with this FBI it always does. It always that's does. That's still rolling out. You'll, you'll hear of like members of basketball uh, uh, staffs just sort of quitting. 
under their own accord for really? whatever reason. Yeah. And it's just people are getting caught up in this, and they're trying to keep it from crawling up to all the head coaches who may or may not be involved. Not all of them, but you yeah. know, a good number of them. Oh, that's a big and deal. And it started with Adidas schools. It has now spread to Nike schools. <gasps> oh, boy. Uh, that's great because that's now everyone. That's everyone because they have the rest it's of the It's like contracts. the plague, which, is, by the way, is coming back. Right. I've heard Scary. about that, too. And finally, parenting advice. Good. It's about um, time. I think I'm, uh, I, I have a standing here. I have, I've you, been a you, parent you for have a child. Two. I've been a parent for six years. Yeah. So well, I think, well I, have some, I think your wife would say you've been a parent for about four years. Well, collectively. I mean, yeah. okay. I was there from the beginning. Yeah. So You've been around. I'll take the credit, okay. even though it may not be due. <laughs> That's good. So the advice here is to stop saying, okay. Okay. Um, ba- no, and stop. They, stop it. They okay. say it, it sounds wishy-washy sometimes. So here's an example. Sophie, we don't throw sand at our friends. Okay. Or like, De- like, is that okay with you, son? Declan, it's time to go now. Okay. Oh, great advice. That's good. So advice. the question, the problem is, you're leaving it with a question, and there's no question. You're leaving. Little Declan here is going to be leaving the premises. You're, Declan really doesn't have a say if should, Declan is leaving should, or not. They're saying you should just state it. So we don't throw things at people. Get rid of the okay and just say. Stop doing that, or this is what we're doing. You say okay, and then the, the child feels like they have a choice, so they say no. No, mother, <laughs> I, I enjoy I enjoy throwing things at Declan. So um, it's just this, the suffix okay. Uh, we all do it. Sometimes it, it's just, you don't want to be the authoritarian. You don't want to yeah. just come down with a hammer all the time. But the second you say okay, it's like you're opening this for discussion. That's good. How about this one? Hey, Declan, if you can find it in any way possible in your life sometime soon, can you quit beating your brothers up in the head? Right. Okay? <laughs> okay. You all right with that? And it says it doesn't mean that children can't have input and some control. Yeah. But there's some situations where this is kind of absurd to ask the child if it's okay with them. What about just, hey! I've done that too. Leave him alone! So they say that the, the the authors say say something like, "Okay, we're getting ready to leave the beach in five minutes." He goes, "We're leaving the beach in five minutes." And when the child screams no, they say, "When we get home, we can either have a bath first or maybe a little bit of TV. Which would you like?" That's where they have a choice. A choice, mm. not on the fact that we're leaving, but when we get home, we have some you know options. That's what would you great. like to do? Can't I do both, mother? Absolutely. Would you like to leave now, or would you like to us to leave you here? That's a great choice. That? <laughs> the choice is clear on that one. What if they say, leave me here? Now you see, what now kid is going to do that? What kid is going to do oh, that? Oh, there's kids that will do that. So it as depends fi- where you are. As this finishes with, it says, remove okay from parenting vocabulary. Okay. Because I think it gives Stop kids it. an illusion of input they don't actually have. And that's kind of cr- a crummy thing to do. Because the kid's thinking, wait, I have a choice, and then oh, all I have of a sudden, say in this. I yeah. don't have a choice. You're, you're, that's that's actually a really subtle, quiet little point. That's beautiful. So let them have input when you really mean it. Okay. Okay. And they leave it at home. Would you like to walk away from this beach on your own two legs, or would you like me to tie you up first? Wow. I gotta say, don't say okay. Yeah. Um, boy, that's. I don't think that's what. That's either one of those are still kind of maybe negative. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a bad choice. It seems like we'll have to ask our parenting expert that's coming up next all about this. Just ask her, is it okay to say okay? She's going to be talking about spooky parenting. Spooky. She has stories of parents doing 
scary crazy things. things around Halloween. Like how to scare your children? I'm not sure. Have you, I, have you, it's usually bumbling parents. Is do the you have somebody story. on your street that like puts together the scariest doorstep ever? I have a neighbor who does a haunted yard. Ooh. And they put up stereo speakers and they have police lights and sirens and it's wow. really loud and it goes till about 10, 1030 Halloween night, which will be a Monday, I believe, this year, which is oh. great because we have school the next day. And it, 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 it uh, ups the volume of trick-or-treaters because yeah. the entire region – you know, read the neighborhood, like, say, between 200 houses. You yeah. can hear this. They all come to the noise. And then, of course, they come across the street to my house, which means we end up giving out more candy. Yeah. And, yeah. You kind of, so you kind of wish they weren't there. No, it's kind of fun. It is kind of loud, and it does cause more – there's pluses and minuses, is what I'm saying. And is it healthy to startle your child to death? It, it's, it's okay because it's right across – he dresses up as Beetlejuice – Oh, runs cool. around, runs around the street. Don't and, say that three times. Yeah, I know. Runs around the street, and it, it, it does kind of ruin the effect when you finally get to the door of the house and you, they answer it, and it's like his mother-in-law in a sweater. And you're like, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Why doesn't this continue to the front door? It's uh, like you get to the front door, and it's just some woman in the house wearing a sweater because she's a little cold, huh. handing out some candy. Just you're like, well, I thought this was supposed to be chaotic. Oh, see, well. spooky parents. Yeah. Straight ahead, folks. We will uh, give you some insight into. Halloween and your family. So much fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show. (laughs) Scary. Okay, it's time for Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom, we call her. And she's also the, um, the child whisperer, the... Uh, and now today, the spooky parent Halloween. The parenting expert in the house. In the house. Talk <laughs> about Halloween and parenting. I mean, it's a weird time where let's dress you up like we've never dressed you up so you can be something you've always wanted to be. <laughs> then let's send you out on the street with a bunch of weird people. And go begging door to door. Yes. To people's houses you'd never go Everything to. Everything we any... say, don't go near yeah, a stranger. Talk to strangers. Hey, and take candy from them. Yeah, and t- yeah. I wrap them and eat them. Isn't that weird? Yeah. We yeah. break every norm, every wear a mask, Wear a mask over your face and walk around in the dark uh, in, uh-huh. in the streets. And then the older they get, so we go with them if they're younger, but when they're older, we're like, hey, go out. Have fun on the street. Do what you got to do. <laughs> take a take a whole uh, take a, pel- a pillowcase. Yeah. <laughs> Fill it up. Something's weird. And then eat that until you practically become diabetic. Yeah, candy. Uh-huh. Then bring it all back. Uh-huh. And then eat that for three, three whole days until you're sick. And we somehow think we're parenting. Mm-hmm. Halloween's so. just a crazy holiday. I don't know how it came about. The only thing that's redeemable about Halloween is I was born on it. You were? Yeah. So was my grandbaby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's a great day because everyone remembers it's your birthday because Halloween, Julie, yeah. Jehel, you know. Yeah, those but go together. But other than that, yeah, my, my parents always called me the spooky witch. What do you? <laughs> and my, my, my kids But they meant that, that was kids, a term of endearment. My kids tell, call me that and it's not endearing. <laughs> you're like that. Oh, you're that loving spooky witch. <laughs> so um, what, what, yeah, are, what yeah, are we? Yeah, I looked up some kind of some scary parents in the news and I want to share some stories from the news of actual parents who've done some pretty scary things. Now, these won't involve any of us. No, I did not. Jeff had a story in the news about him. You did. It was a little scary, but he doesn't like to bring it up. But we'll see if it's in here. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Uh, The first one were parents who had this lovely idea for Halloween decorations that they would put a fake body 
under the garage door and then bring the garage door down and use that as a decoration. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about that one. That's not funny. Yeah. So the it's, this is in Tennessee, Greene County, and the sheriff's department has alerted the drivers <laughs> along Chucky Pike. Now, Chucky already is a scary word. Um, <laughs> not to be har- alarmed by the body. This is a Halloween decoration they put on the Facebook page. It's do, a prank. Do not call 911 because officers have rushed to the scene with sirens blaring after a caller reported the body was being crushed on the garage under the garage. Holy cow. Yeah, that was. And so it's just a joke gone, gone awry. Yeah. 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 Parents don't do that. You Mm -hmm. know, teach your kids to have (laughs) good sense. (laughs) But I mean, maybe that's a family that doesn't have a young kid. They're just like they just they just think that's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then for other families with young kids, don't don't torture them with mommy. uh, That kid's under the door being crushed by the door. Oh, boy. Okay, here's another one that no sense, no common sense. I don't know who raised this child. Um, but he was, um, he was. Let's as we're in, um, okay, in England. He top caught, climbed to the top of the highest mountain in Wales, thirty six hundred foot Snowdon is the name of the of the peak. But he quickly succumbed to the to the elements because perhaps he was only wearing Superman underwear. Oh no, shoes and gloves. That was it. Oh no. Mm-hmm. His That's name is crazy. his name is Nathan French, and he is um, when he was at the top. I was shaking uncontrollably. He said, so he rode the Snowden Mountain Railway back down, but fell ill on the train. I started to go deaf, and my start my sight started to go funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> he was having problems. Yeah, paramedics realized he was going into hypothermia, and uh, the mountain rescue team said, "We hope that Mr. French is back on the mountain soon, perhaps in a full suit of of Superman." Uh, rather than just underwear. So parents, raise your children responsibly. Yeah, like like teach them that you need more than just the undies. <laughs> yes. I mean, that seems Can like you a, imagine that seems like a no-brainer. up there with just your underwear, Superman underwear? But, you know, at least he chose wisely with well, the kind of underwear. Let's actually ask Jeff. Um, Jeff, you know better than that. <sighs> okay. That's all we need to say about that. What? There's a joke here. No, it's just Jeff has problems like that every once in a while. Oh, he goes to work in just underwear? Well, just once. Okay. <laughs> HR got so mad at him. It How was about bad. this mom? How about this mom? She thought this was a good idea. She's lactating. She's got a baby, right? Yeah, yeah. So she thought, well, I'll be an entrepreneur. So um, she's in Brooklyn, New York, and um, she was a hit at this year's Burning Man gathering in Nevada where she pumped breast milk and offered it to fellow attendees to help with their hangovers or to use in their lattes. Are you serious? She even tried a little bit of herself, saying it tasted like coconut milk. She estimated about 30 or 40 people tried her milk. Oh, wow. Gosh. Okay, keep that's it, keep the spooky it to your, parent Keep right it to there. yourself, moms. Yeah, or to your baby. Yeah, yeah. Just be uh, spooky. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> Woo! Crazy. Okay. okay this one, um, Halloween hide-and-seek. What seemed to be the best hide-and-seek idea ever took a frightening turn in Colonial Heights, Virginia, when a 12-year-old girl became stuck in her sleeper sofa. Ooh. Another child called 911, but she couldn't get her friend out. I've Uh-oh. never seen anything like it, said the fire chief. Yeah. You Once you're stuck in the sofa. <laughs> but, like, th- those are the old kind of roll-a-bed sofas, probably. Probably. Yeah. But, and then sometimes you can't open them. Yeah. Supervise your kids, people. All right, here's a spooky one. This is the headline. It's called Spooky. 
A couple in Scotland have resorted to offering five hundred thousand pounds, which would be in American dollars fifty-seven thousand. Wow! For a live-in nanny to care for their two young children after five previous nannies have quit in the last year, citing supernatural incidences. Uh oh! There's like a haunted house. Yes. The homeowners described the property as lovely, spacious, with spectacular views. But they admit that they were told the house was haunted before they bought it. Richard Conway, CEO of Childcare.co.uk, the website where the job is offered, said, The family has assured us that no harm has come to anyone living in the house. However, the nanny will have to have a strong disposition. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and... Boy, that's scary because it's one thing you got the kids that are hard, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know you've got ghosts, you know, ghost cre- goblins. Yeah, you know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I thought I was just having three kids. Now I got to take care of ghosts, Franken- right. Frankenstein, Dracula, Red Rum. <laughs> that's murder backwards. That's from The Shining. Okay, that's like scary. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, nannies don't go to haunted houses. You know, you just don't get paid well enough. Not even fifty thousand, seven thousand dollars is worth. This has got to be traumatic for kids because kids are already, you know, where you watch one show and you'll never be the same. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, you actually have a ghost. Yeah, it's like poltergeist. You're, You're being a nanny for poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, some kids are like that anyway. You know, parents just don't. This house is clear. Poltergeist. Oh, that's the that's the seance lady <laughs> oh, that cleaned the house. I haven't slept for so long, man. That thing freaked me out when I watched. Isn't that it. funny? Like Jeff won't listen oh, the to meat, us. The meat maggots. <sighs> Ugh. Jeff won't listen to us. But then the minute we start talking about movies, he piped right in. Hey, I've been listening. Yeah, but you didn't want to talk about the incident. The other incident hmm. that HR was involved in, <laughs> and that's just find that kind of funny. Um, it. What about like – because your kids want to dress up. Mm-hmm. Then it's like at what point do you like, no, we're not going to go as evil, scary devil right, people. Right, right, exactly. I always have to draw the line of what is not cool, what is not How, Where do you draw the line? Like blood and like gore and – you know, that kind of stuff. How about a hatchet in the head? Yeah, that. Now, some people will allow their kids to do that, and they have lots of fun with it. What if it's just a headband that's a hatchet <laughs> in the head headband? <sighs> yeah, I kind of feel weird about that. Yeah, some There's people go enough all gore. out. It's okay if you want to go all out, but I'm just not. I'm not a yeah. person that You're not a blood loves, and guts. No, no, I'm not. You're no. a lover. You know what? You're a lover, not a fighter. That's right. <laughs> that's what we found. Yeah, exactly. Be Superman. But with all your clothes with on. With all your clothes on. <laughs> That's what mama used to say. So um, any other advice yeah. you give us as parents? Well, um, here's another one. This is a great one. Um, don't pull your kids behind your car um, in um, the little red wagon because this is t- entitled Joyriding. Alana uh, Donahue, of 20, 27 years old, of Springfield, Oregon, just wanted to entertain her children and her nephew with a joyride around the neighborhood. But on July 12th, as she was pulling the kids, ages 2, 4, and 8, behind her Ford Taurus in a little red wagon. Yeah, that was a bad day. She was arrested for reckless endangerment. Endangerment. Donahue told the police she was just showing the kids a good time. However, horrified witnesses saw the car going about 30 miles an hour around a tra- busy traffic circle at rush hour. And really? the wagon was up on two wheels behind her. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you got to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. That'll get you every time. That'd be my advice. No. That's that's really good advice. <laughs> no little red wagons behind your car no. towing them. If you love your kids, at, just keep them seat belted in the car. Yeah, at, at traffic hour around a roundabout. That's what's weird about thanks or uh, Halloween time is all these kids are running around in dark costumes uh-huh. and driving is always really scary for me. Yeah. We used to always let the neighborhood dogs pull us on rollerblades. That's they, fine. They weren't on rollerblades. Let me clarify. We were on rollerblades. <laughs> yeah. And dra- they were dragging like, us with their leash. What do you mean the neighborhood dogs? You'd go gather all the neighborhood dogs and then leash them up? No, 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 no. Just dogs of our friends. Oh, okay. Our parents didn't know about that. No. See, but that was back when parents didn't care about kids. That's true. And you could do anything you wanted. Yeah. Nowadays, parents are like, oh, that sounds dangerous. Now they'd make sure you wear a helmet, armbands, elbow pads, knee pads. A reflector tape. Shoulder pads, reflector tape. In fact, let's just take those roller blades off. Yeah, let's uh-huh. not even Why don't you just walk just with walk all that equipment with, on? Because if you happen to fall in front of the neighbor's house, then you could sue them, um, you know, for liability. And, you know, we just want to get out of that. Yeah, that's such yeah. a good point. Yeah. Don't want anybody <laughs> to get – but it used to be kids could have fun. Yeah, used to be. I used I to know. ride on the handlebars of my friend's you know, oh, yeah. bike all the time. Do you remember when you could get three or four kids on a bike? Oh, yeah. Like one of you had a bike and you're like, let's go. We can do this. How many can we get on this bike? Now you've got kids that can't even ride the bike yet. Right. Yeah. No, you have to have those electric scooter things that take you places. Yeah. Or you're just – Because you, you can't pump with your two little legs anymore. Well, or now your kid can just take an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> 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 remember – Remember when, like, you'd have to walk, like, a mile and that would, like, kill you, but you'd still do it because you had no other choice? Yes. Now the kids just call an Uber. Yeah. It's right. crazy. Yeah. My my husband lived in Hawaii growing up. He would have to bike himself over from one side of the island to the other for ukulele lessons every week. No, oh, yeah. The entire island. Yeah. Well, like, a big it's, island or a little no, island? <laughs> this, are we talking Hawaii? This is, oh, or this talking, is called Oahu. Oh, Oahu. That's a big island. It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where his teacher was. That's where he went. There's no Uber. There's no mom taking no. him there. Right. No. Bike. Are you ready Man. for another one? Yeah. Okay, here's a son, a son that wants to be a son. It's called Trump Jr. Oh. In Odessa, Texas, resident Ernesto Acosta, 34, has legally changed his name to an Ernesto Trump and declared <laughs> himself the son of President Trump. Oh. Okay. His Facebook fa- page features photograph of himself wearing a Trump-like wig, a nice comb over, and asks review uh, viewers to please share this so that my dad, your president, can see this and spend time with me. So there's – let me make sure I got this straight. There's Ivanka. <laughs> there's Don Jr. There's Eric Trump. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ernesto. <laughs> Ernesto. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. Ernesto is a fan, a big fan of President Trump, but his immigrant mother is unamused about his name change. Well, I bet. I mean, I bet she's also worried about a wall being placed between her and, <laughs> and her son and, and Trump Jr. That's right. And Ernesto. How? That's kind of spooky. <laughs> yes. That's a lot of people are going to be pulling out Trump masks. Mm hmm. Don't you think? This Halloween is going to be big time. I saw one where you could actually buy the whole comb-over wig and everything. I think it'll be big. What, what do you mean comb-over wig? Well, you know what he has. That no, wig, what? That thing. Trump? Yeah. That has thing. a comb-over wig? <laughs> I had never noticed. Um, uh-huh. that's, that's fun. Okay. Any, other, yeah. any others? Got some more. Got okay. some more. Mother of the Year, this is called. Okay. 
Ebony Woody, 34, of Columbus, Ohio, was yeah. nothing if not thorough on the morning of – I love this news. They write so well. It was nothing if not thorough on the morning of September 18th when, following an argument with her daughter, she purposely drove her car onto the sidewalk and struck the 17-year-old who was walking to school, according to Columbus police. After knocking the girl down and running over her leg – Woody, Woody, the mom, stopped and backed up and drove over a leg the second time. Wow. Woody generously then gave her daughter a ride to her father's house where she dropped her off without reporting the incident. Wow. <laughs> she later turned herself into the police headquarters and faces charges of fel- felony assault, aggravated vehicular assault, and endangering children. The daughter was treated for two fractures in her left leg. Oh, my heavens. Not mother of the year. No, that's where you you already feel bad. Yeah. But then to she just... wanted to make sure it was broken, so she backed up and did it again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Okay. Lucky to be alive. You ready for one more? Yeah. House pets. You know, we all have house pets. What, what did you grow up with? A dog, right? I grew up with a dog named Buddy. Yes. Because he was my buddy. He was. I wrote, Super a, I wrote cute. about him in my book. Oh, that's like, right. Yeah, Buddy. it was such a sweet little He's thing. He's the greatest thing yeah. ever. Died of heart disease. Peanut butter on the mouth, yeah. he said, when you came home. Yeah. You know. Apparently, if you feed your dog peanut butter for five years, It'll kill him. Dies of heart disease. It's not. Jeff, what did you thing. have growing up? What what house pet? He had a boa constrictor. I had a bunny. Uh huh. And uh, my brothers would throw it across the yard, up in the air, and I would always say, "Run free, Carmel! Run free!" Oh, Carmel was Carmel the name of the was bunny. Name. Cute bunny. Did you? Uh, did Bunny ever fall down and kill herself after you threw her up? No. Uh, the neighborhood cats got her in the end. <laughs> Oh, that's tragic. Oh, yeah. well, here's another like pet gone bad story. Coolidge, Arizona resident Victor Pratt boasts that he's played with snakes his whole life. So he's comfortable around them, knows okay. how to handle them. So when a rattlesnake slithered by during a family party at a nearby lake in September, Pratt grabbed the viper and wanted to show his kids how to do it. Oh, no. So he's showing off. He showed him how to catch it. He was playing with it like little kids do. I wanted to show off how to play with a rattler. (laughs) (laughs) Then the rattler apparently didn't want to play. No, no. They're not very playful. No, they hurt. I bet it was was probably during nap time. Yeah. And so he bit the the rattler, bit proud on his face and neck in front front of the children. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Nothing traumatic about that. Yeah. So Pratt's son's. Um, quickly drove him to a nearby emergency room, and he was later airlifted to the hospital. The uh, paramedic said there was a 100% chance he would have died if he would not made it to um, to the hospital within minutes. Well, yeah. It's one thing, I guess, if you're bit on the hand, then the, it's got to get all the way to your heart. Yeah, but right but if there. If you're bit on, on the, the face. And on the neck, right there next yeah. to the jugular. It's pretty much going straight to the brain and yeah. to the heart. Yeah, so he's remained uh, unconscious, Right. So um, then he uh, – for, for several days, finally he just barely woke up. He told reporters he'd learned his lesson that he will not play with rattlesnakes again. Oh, that was good. Yeah. I mean at least he learned a lesson. <laughs> I mean you'd think the look, rattler kids, would be look, all kids, you'd need. Here's a rattlesnake. Let's play with it. Man. <laughs> Do, I mean maybe that's where the kids are raising the parents. Maybe so. Don't you think the kids are like, Dad, maybe you shouldn't do that? Probably. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine, Billy. I do this all the – what the <laughs> – well, we want to look cool for our kids, right? Yeah, I do that. But I don't use a rattler. That's and, true. I and mean, that's death, right? What do you do to look cool for your kids? Trampoline. 
I've got a great trampoline story someday I'll tell you. I it's do a, use a rattle. Like those are quite mm-hmm. fun yeah, you have even a baby. at this age. You have yeah. a baby. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. But then when my wife is saying, can you please give that back to him? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing. Stas is like, dad, give me my rattle. <laughs> Well, that's good stuff, uh, Julie. Yeah, there's just some crazy parents out there. Folks, don't be crazy. Don't be, be crazy. Be responsible. You, you know, had them. And be safe around Halloween. Raise them with love. Mm-hmm. Make their life easier. Yeah. That's the advice right there. Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com, and check out her books, Parenting with Spiritual Power, and Keep It Real, and Grab a Plunger. Julie's the best. Uh, you're not going to want to miss um, any of her, her work with us. She comes every two weeks to educate us. She's the best. We will take a break. Come back. When we come back, the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be with us, seeing if we can uh, shake off the demons here at Brigham Young University and our football team. Crazy stuff straight ahead. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, and uh, it is that time of the show when we get to go down and visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation to find out what's going to be up on their show in just about 13 minutes. Uh, It's Jerem and Jason today. Hello, gentlemen. Time for sports. Sportsing time. This is a a fun day, okay? The best parts of any season, like the NBA, are the very beginning and the very end. Really? Yeah, yeah. When hope is, when is hope high. Reigneth. Hope yes, is high, reigneth. and then there's a championship to be played. Yes. Then we all know that Golden State will have it. So, like, I love spring training more than I do any game in June. Really? You that know, is you know, kooky talk. You know right what I mean? There. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, it's back. It's fun. It's exciting. June, it's like, okay, these games are fun, but there are a lot of them. Okay. <laughs> But then you get into October, and my team's not in it, and so I watch other teams play baseball, which is the case now. And so now you're just sitting and watching it. But no, I'm a sports fan. Did you see sports? They may be lowering the number of games in baseball by like eight. Oh, go back to 154. Yeah, which was the case for a long time. Did, I, I don't know if you guys saw this. It was in Baseball America yesterday. But it's 154 seems baseball. like a lot still. Well, it is a lot. But and this will this will uh, excite uh, one Jerem Jordan here because in order to do this they're considering expanding by two. Montreal, who lost the Washington Nationals, would probably be one of those. Spencer has some Montreal Expos socks. And the other, <laughs> a baseball team in Portland. Portland. Oh, that'd be fun. <gasps> really? And then they would get rid of like East West kind of. It would basically just be um, like four different divisions. Not necessarily like a league, I don't think, if I read it properly. No, this is crazy talk now. Yeah, I'm just telling you, it's out there. It's Look it up, Baseball America. It's, it's fascinating. This is exciting. Is, uh, is this an effort to, what, somehow re-engage baseball fans? I'm not 100% sure what the ultimate goal is. I, I, think, I think leagues get too overzealous when, when thinking about uh, expansion. Yeah. Like, like the MLS, like there's like 700 uh, – MLS teams now. There used to be like 14, and like every year they're adding like 26. There are only 600. They're at 700. That's crazy talk. It just seems a bit much to me. Yeah. It seems like a little, yeah, just a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But maybe they need to, if they would maybe do something about the speed of the game. Like we've we've brought it up. I I don't want to beat it. of the game. And put alligators out there. It, it's alligators. The pitch football. Faster. It's it's not about speed. It's about 
uh, engagement. Okay, football Ooh. takes longer than baseball. Oh, it does. Yes, we don't mind or care about that. When have you thought about the time of a football? You don't care. It's about the engagement. There needs to be some some kind of uh, more engagement in baseball. They got to figure that out. That's, That's the issue to me. I think I've already told you the fix is alligators. <laughs> oh yeah, Gator you just ball. Put, That's you right. put alligators in the baselines. Gator ball. You chum oh, everyone man. up. <laughs> Everyone's chummed. Everyone gets all And then chummy. it's just a free-for-all. Yeah. Instead of putting pine tar on the bat, it's yeah. chum. It's chum. And then when you start George seeing— George Brett's <laughs> running out there with chum on his bat. you got to hit that ball before the gator gets to you, and then you got to avoid it. But what you would end up having is people wouldn't be uh, worried about hitting the ball. They would just want to start hitting some gators upside the head Yeah, but the tra- bat. That's you, all it would turn into. You can go ahead, but the minute you're, you're taking on a gator— Forget about it. And watch your backside because there's going to be another gator there. Do you what think is- anyone thinks Jason is the loser because he goes home to Starlet night? I think not. <laughs> what is the honestly? This is a legitimate question, Matt. This is something yeah, I'm okay. bringing to you. I will help mm. you for definitive. Yeah, mm. no, I'll bring you the this. answer. What is the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Um, breeding, continent, continent breeding. Like what is snout the difference? Snout type spelling. Uh, I think a crocodile has <laughs> a narrow. Names? I've learned this because I I've, I've gone crocodile hunting. Gators <laughs> have wider, I believe, bigger mouths. Crocs have more narrow mouths. Mm. You can see their teeth coming up. Yeah, yeah. Which I would want if one of them's coming at me. I would want to see the teeth. I would too. And uh, by the way, we won't even get into caimans because that's a whole other breed. The Cayman Islands? No, the Cayman Caymans are. Caymans? Uh, they're, they're, those are also little baby croc, but speedy little baby crocs. Hmm. Yeah, called Caymans. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, everything we have talked about so far in this radio hit, yeah. none of it was planned. None of it. On your part. You no. had no idea uh-uh. any of this was coming up. No, I was going to talk about sports and stuff. <laughs> Caymans? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking this up. Look I've up. never heard of that. No. Look it up. Look up what a Cayman is. You're talking like so like baby baby alligator. They seem crocodile. a little smaller. Like a lizard? They're, but they no, they're they're crocs, but they they swim fast. Caymans. Wow. Have you looked it up yet? I'm trying. He's, he's googling just... it right now. Yeah. It is bringing up Chris Cayman, isn't it? And the Cayman Islands. Yeah. Cayman is an alligatoroid mm. crocodilian. Mm. What? Beginning the alligatoroid? Yeah. Subfamily. Yeah. Cayman Cayman A. Yeah. They take roids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're. They're basically an alligator. From now we're the back 90s. to baseball talk. <laughs> See how this works? It always works back to the baseball scandals of the nineties. Cayman's only played for the Giants. <laughs> I hear they play for the Dodgers. Oh snap! No, I'm rooting. Hey, I told you I'm rooting for the Dodgers right now. I do not want the Chicago Baby Bears to win. So is it? But they're called Cubs. No, the Baby I'm Bears. A Car- I'm a Cardinals fan. I don't give them credit. Listen, You're mad. And, You're and mad. Yasiel Puig keeps going up to the uh, plate with butter on his hands because he keeps flipping the bat. It's crazy. Is it? Hold on. Is it Puig or Puig? Uh, definitely Puig. Okay. Just spell. I just, the I've other always, is not the way. I've Remember when everybody it. wanted him out of baseball? Yeah. And now they love him. Now he's like the number one Dodger since <laughs> Kirk Gibson. But the bats are slippery. Apparently. I'm, I want to get the uh, his hairstyle, though. I want to get that uh, oh, shaved yeah. into the side of my head. That would be dope. I would actually pay to see that. Really? How much? How much? Yeah. 20 Mm-hmm. Well, well, you don't really want it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I can, only do, or no I can only do my part. I can't do everything. Man. That's a nice contribution. Hey, wh- what's on your show today, gentlemen? Listen, listen. You're still doing you it been, today? But I'm just saying this out loud. Uh, BYU needs to win the next six games, okay? Yeah, Qualify they need to for run the game team. in all reality. Yeah. Uh, so we're calling them 
as Jason Shepard dubbed them, the significant six. <gasps> we will discuss, can BYU do this? Do we think they will do it? What are the potential stumbling blocks in this? Because BYU is playing teams that aren't as good anymore, okay? Right. But will BYU win six in a row after losing six in a row? We will discuss. Oh, wow. We will also have Blaine Fowler, whose football knowledge exceeds almost anybody I know. Uh, he's going to join us. We'll talk to him about that, get his, his take on this weekend's game uh, at East Carolina against the Pirates. And SB Nation's Matt Brown on why BYU is the most disappointing team in the country. But we have buried the lead. Let's end with this. Okay. In between the lines today with Lauren Frankham. We, the show, BYU Sports Nation, have a burger oh. at the wall. We made it with you, Chef, jo- Chef you made Juan. It, you made it to the wall. We made it. We have a burger there. Is it for the whole Sports Nation, or is it named after one of you? No, it's the Blue Goggle, it's the, <laughs> the Blue Goggle Bacon Burger. <gasps> oh, I love that. You can that. buy it at the wall on campus. Okay, is I'm this going, a permanent thing? I don't know if it's permanent. It better be, because that's my favorite burger. It's at least for uh, the next week. I'm not exactly okay. sure how long, but okay. there's a video of us making it. So oh, it boy. That's gonna, yeah. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Next up, the Matt Townsend burger. Oh, someday. But my, my burger is the blue bacon burger. Let's, let's, oh, is it? Yeah, that's my let's favorite. Let's go to lunch at the wall. Okay, let's do it. We can have it. Let's do it. And then not can, today. You can order for me because that would be like, an <laughs> on, I'd be honored to have you pay for Chef it. Chef Juan. <laughs> at the wall. All at right, wall. gentlemen, go, go do your show. Go, I know you got to do your push-ups right before. Both of you get all ripped and get the blood flowing. They've always got a great show. And it's it's almost like when Spencer's away, they play. I don't know. Hmm. You were going to say something about Well, they were calling the, the remainder of the games the Sig- significant six. Yeah. And didn't you say during the break that BYU should be called the suicide squad? No. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't say that. Oh. That well, the be. audience responded to it. Yeah, you got a big audience today. It's funny. They only laugh at your jokes. <sighs> Someday I'd like them to laugh at my jokes. Hmm. Anyway, our hero story of the day is a, a Carnegie Mellon student um, that uh, is from Puerto Rico and decided to do something about it because she didn't like what was happening there as they're all trying to recover. Rosanna Guernica, 22, a junior majoring in decision sciences, heard stories about people getting off the island by chartering a private plane. So she got the idea of raising money for a plane to bring in medical supplies and then evaluate or evacuate sick people. Her grandmother told her it was a crazy idea, but that's exactly what Guernica has done twice. Um, she said uh, they, she just gathered, gained the money, raised the money, about seven thousand dollars in 24 hours and eleven thousand by the following day and by the middle of the last week she had forty eight thousand dollars she spent uh, the first twenty thousand in donations to buy a a thousand pounds of supplies took them onto the island batteries water water filters everything they needed to be able to live healthy lives and then would bring back sick people she's made two trips her name rosanna guernica hero of the day on the matt townsend show That's what this world's about, folks, stepping in where you can and being the change you can be. And that's our show. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.